Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope you're doing well. So, you know, to be honest, sometimes we book callers because they bring fantastic topics to the conversation. Sometimes we book them because they'll be challenging debates. Sometimes, occasionally, we will book people for amusement, and sometimes we book people because they can serve as a warning to others. The first caller, ooh, he has got himself into a mess, or rather, he was helped into a mess by a lady of a certain age, and now, well, what can I tell you? You gotta listen, you gotta learn. The second caller wanted to talk about my thoughts and experiences with educating children, uh, public school, private school, unschooling, homeschooling, you name it, tutors, and we had a great conversation about that. Uh, the third caller was a fine young lady uh, who is a student at the Ohio State University. And uh, she was on campus when a Somali immigrant drove his car into a bunch of students and then attacked them with a giant knife. And uh, we talked about that. And I was really glad that she was able to share what she was thinking and feeling about all of that. Now, the fourth caller wanted to know, this is a great conversation, he wanted to know what I thought about the big picture sweep of history stuff that goes on, you know, grand historical movements and big historical tides and world spirits and so on. And uh, do men shape events or are men shaped by events? And uh, it might have got a little frustrating for me at the end, but nonetheless, a very, very great conversation. And I appreciated him calling in as I appreciate all the callers. Please, please don't forget to come and help us help. Help us do that voodoo that we do so well at freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can also use our affiliate link if you've got some shopping to do this season at fdrurl.com slash Amazon. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Stefan Mullany. All right. Well, up first today, we have Randy. Randy wrote into the show and said, after being told by a woman that she couldn't get pregnant, she got pregnant. To make matters worse, she's 35 years old. We've only known each other for a month. She went on progesterone, and she is deciding to keep the pregnancy going, despite not being in a committed relationship. Needless to say, I'm concerned with the child's well-being once it is born if she raises the child as a single parent. I would like to speak to Stefan to get his perspective on what I should do. Should I bite the bullet for the child's sake and embark on a relationship with a woman I don't really know, who lied and manipulated her way into a pregnancy? Or... Should I break off the possibility of a relationship out of respect for myself and submit to being single parents to a child and hope for the best with regards to the child's well-being? That's from Randy. Oh, hey, Randy. Um, it's unfortunate that your name is also the vice that got you here, right? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for the humor out of the situation. Yeah. You, you might need some. Um, okay. Uh, do you, do you want to sort of shed more light on, um, the sort of circumstances that occurred? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll take it chronologically. Um, so I met this woman and, uh, we hung out once and nothing happened. There was chemistry. We definitely got along. We communicate very well. And, um, but we decided after the first meeting that 
let's just be friends. And I said, I wasn't really interested in her and pursuing a relationship. And she said, well, okay, let's still be friends. And I said, yeah, sure. And so the next time, a few days later, uh, she invited me over and I showed up and all she was wearing was a towel. And I walked in. You know, as as friends do. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, those types of friends. And uh, so I walk in and she's all she's wearing is a towel. And she takes the towel off and she walks by me and she says, the hot tub's ready. And um, so we get into the hot tub naked and we kind of left off from the first meeting. Nothing happened in the hot tub, nothing sexual. Uh, we just what? talked and we got along really well. And hang, then on, we hang, got on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Hang on, hang yeah. on. She says hang over, like come over as a friend. Yeah. She's naked. Right. Invites you into a hot tub. You get naked. You get into the hot tub and and you chat. Uh, there was, have you never read a penthouse letter in your life? I'm just sitting. Come on. I, uh, there was, there was some sensual stuff going on, but there was nothing sexual at that moment until we got out of the hot tub and we went to her room and things happened. And from there on, um, every weekend I go over to her place and we hang out and we have sex a lot and um and i'm always the one saying you know are you you sure you can't get pregnant you can't get pregnant right like just this kind of interrogation and then she says oh yeah i got blood work done this is a few weeks later she says oh i got blood work done by the way and i said well when do the results come in and she's like today and i'm pregnant Wait, blood work what does that mean? Blood work like? Well, for um, for pregnancy. Why would she be getting blood work for pregnancy if she can't get pregnant? Well, she started getting very nauseous. And yeah, so. Tender breasts, uh, whatever it is. Right? Yeah, so yeah, that's the big one right there. Tender breasts for sure. Yeah, she complains about that all the time. So. After it's her- nature's way of saying these were yours. <laughs> and now they're not. All right. Yeah. So well, now I'm going to obviously assume that you didn't wear any protection, right? No, I did not. Because you um, you were told that she was uh, she couldn't get pregnant, and 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 magically STDs can pass from her to you. Or what was the thinking here? She she well, first of all, she said she had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and she couldn't get pregnant, and so. Now she wants to keep the baby because she thinks it's a miracle baby. Uh, about the STDs, um, I get tested. We both got tested uh, pretty recently. So, All right. All right. Now, of course, you don't have any independent verification of this polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? I didn't know anything about it. No, but you don't know if she's actually had it. That's right. I'm going off her word. Sure. 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 Um, so it's a miracle baby. Um, how, what's your income like? My, I have a very good income. I have a very good of job. Of course you do. Yeah. How did, how did I know? Why, why did I ask that question, do you think, Randy? Uh, because in the few hours 
me and the girl got to know each other, she asked me about myself and asked me what I do and things I have going on in my life. So, so you have money and she knows that if she, um, gets pregnant, she gets your money, right? She, yeah, no, that's, that's my worry. And she's tried to tell me that she doesn't need anything financially, but I mean, she's lied already about not being able to get pregnant or uh, stuff like that. So I'm kind of like, well, what else is there going to be? What's the next? Uh, well, I mean, okay, let's sort of taking this a step at a time. We don't know, or at least I don't know, maybe you have information I don't have, but there's no proof that she lied, right? I mean, she could have been told by the doctor, you can't get pregnant. Right. Right, so... I, I don't, you'd have to sit down with her doctor and, I don't know, go over the diagnosis or whatever. Yeah. Now, he may have said your chances of getting pregnant are very, very low. Uh, or she just... did she, she when, when you showed up at her place and she was wearing only a towel, Randy, did she already know about your income? She knew what I did, yes. She doesn't know, um, just so I'm clear, she doesn't know my income, but she does know what I do and those kind of... And you ain't a waiter. Right. Right. Yeah. Don't don't have to tell me what you do. I'm just going to assume yeah. that it is an occupation somewhat associated with a decent income, right? Correct. Right. So you meet her. She finds out you have a lot of money. She seduces you, and now she's pregnant. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, all of this may be somewhat innocent. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we don't know for sure, right? Right. And and I imagine you know you won't know for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if she was telling the truth or not. I don't know. It's... Well, yeah. And now, of course, if she ends up not wanting any money, then at least we'll know that it was not a uh, financial motive, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of one thing to say at the, uh, in the moment, oh, I'll be fine. Right. Yeah. When the bills start to pile up and, uh, right. your work, uh, diminishes because, uh, you've got to raise a baby and all that kind of stuff. Then, uh, that is a, uh, well, um, it may be a different, uh, it may be a different matter, you know. She may have good intentions now, is what I'm saying, but it may it may change over time, right? Understood. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's see. I'm just looking up polycystic ovarian syndrome. Not all women with this syndrome have difficulty becoming pregnant. And yeah, which is interesting because since this whole thing happened, I mentioned this to my dad, and apparently my aunt has it. Mm. And she had two children in her 30s. And the doctors yeah. for years told her that she couldn't get pregnant because she had this ovarian syndrome. So, Well, see, here's the thing. Is that, again, I, I'm no doctor, obviously, but if the only information she had is that she has this syndrome, then it is, you know, I'm just looking on Wiki, right? And it says, well, no, you can get pregnant with this syndrome. 
I would, yeah, and I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known that uh, beforehand. But I don't. I don't. Before I have sex with a woman, I'm not going to go through all the conditions that make it hard for a woman to get pregnant. Well, I mean that that's why protection is an important thing for a man to figure out, right? Yeah. Well, I'm learning the hard way now. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, what is um, what is her income? Her, you don't have to tell me what she does, of course. But what is her income? Her life, her prospects, like. Uh, so she's thirty-five, and so the the clock is ticking. She does not have any children. Uh, however. She spent a de- over a decade raising somebody else's children in a in a long term relationship. So she has experience uh, raising children, two boys. Um, she's a you know she's a solid woman. Like um, lots of personal growth. From what I gather, I've I've had to really get to know her really quick over the past six weeks for obvious reasons uh because i want to know who's carrying my baby now right um i want to know what her gene pool is like what her thoughts are like and what she's like as a human being and that puts a little bit of stress on it because we've got to fast track everything now uh to know what i'm dealing with she's a good woman you know she's got a good heart i say that with an asterisk after what how she went about doing this and um good solid income and considering where we live that income could be a lot higher if things change within the local economy um which is the income she's used to um but i mean and 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 like i said we communicate very well you know um but at the same time, like I said, I've got to put an asterisk beside everything I'm saying because, well, I've only known her for six weeks. <laughs> yeah. And um, how long after you met did you think she got pregnant? Four weeks. Right. Um, do you think that she was um, dating anyone else? I don't think so. Uh, her and I have, from what I know, uh, her and I have gone through like I said, a lot of personal growth in the last, from what it sounds like, the last few years. Um, So I think we were both very single. Right, right, okay. And do you know what the story was with this? So you said a 10-year relationship where she raised two little boys that weren't hers? Yeah, yeah. So a mother died, and uh, she met up with a single father. And the single father wanted her to be kind of like the mother, uh, play that role and be the stay at home wife. So she, uh, she played that, 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 that role. So she, did she spend uh, 10 years staying home and raising his children? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was 10 years. I know that they were together for over 10 years. Um, she had a she had a very good job and a very good income uh, for quite a few of those years. So, wait, wait, wait. So she wasn't home. Not not all not the whole time, but there were 
um, for there was a three to four year period where she was home all the time. And why did they not stay together? From what well, I, they weren't I, married, I assume, right? No, they were not married. Um, from what I've understood in my conversations with her, um, he was very he was very abusive emotionally, verbally. Uh, lots of put downs, um, nothing physical, uh, but there's, that and you know I can, of. I can tell just by talking to her and, and, and she has a, sometimes she has a hard time opening up with me, uh, because she's afraid. Not, not the legs, but the heart, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Jeez. <laughs> I really appreciate the humor, by the way. Um, yeah, no, there was, she has a hard time uh, opening up emotionally sometimes, you know, and she's, sometimes she's an emotional basket case when she's talking about her feelings because of the communication that her and her ex had. What do you mean a basket case? Well, what does that, what does that look like? How would you know? Well, how would I know if I was sort of watching this? Just, I mean... You know, when 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 her and I are in an intimate setting, and we're getting close to each other, and she's telling me how she feels about me, she's she has a hard time with that. No, I she get that. But what does that look like? How do you know? She cries and she says, "You know, I'm just having a hard time telling you how I feel about you. Um, I don't want to scare you away." Um, I, I, you know, she says, I really like you and I want to be with you. So that's that sort of thing all the while being all the while crying. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You ever been with a woman like this before? Like she's telling you that she likes you and she's like crying and yes, 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 I have. Um, I've been, you make women cry. Why? <laughs> Why? Anyway, go on. Yeah, really. Um, now it's my turn. Um, yeah, I was with, uh, I've been with, a f yeah, my first, my first ever girlfriend was like that when she would, you know, try to tell me how she felt about me and didn't want to scare me away. And she would cry. And there was another woman I was dating too. And this, this one woman in particular was extremely, extremely attractive. Uh, in my opinion, I thought she, she was very good looking and uh she had she was a single mom and she would she, she would she would just start crying and 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 when we me and her would talk about having children she would cry and say you know i just don't want to be that woman with multiple kids from multiple dads so she was <laughs> a little, little late for that but all right yeah You know, I, can't, I don't jump out of a plane and say, well, I don't want to be that guy who jumps out of a plane. It's like, uh, that's before you jump out of it. Okay. Right. And uh, was your mom emotional in this kind of way or? Oh, boy. My, yeah. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, yeah. Yeah. My mom couldn't handle any kind of stress. Couldn't, you know, uh I don't know if it's a threat, but you know, when you come home from work and you tell your kids that they're going to put you in a hospital because they're driving you crazy, um, stuff like that. And 
Your mother would, sorry, your mother would say that she was going to put you in a hospital? No, my mother would say that me and my brother were going to put her in a hospital because we were, we were so, um, I don't know, we were kids, we were wild, you know? She couldn't handle it, right? What couldn't she handle? She couldn't handle two young boys that didn't... So I've watched a lot of your videos, so I think I know what you're talking about. So she couldn't handle two young boys without a a, a, a male role model or a father around. And when did your parents get uh, divorced? They broke up when I was five, and they probably officially divorced probably when I was around 15. Isn't that interesting? 10 years just like your girlfriend <laughs> yeah really and uh, was your dad around my dad was was around but he wasn't present meaning he was an hour he was an hour away so i could pick up the phone and always call him and talk to him and we would hang out every other weekend but he was not there in the house, under the roof, or down the street. Oh, no, 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 I get that. I mean, they were divorced, right? So he right. moved out. Yeah. No, what I mean is, uh, so wh why was he an hour away? Why not move closer if you're that close anyway? Because of his his job. Well, no, no. The, okay. the job, unless he was a medieval serf chained to some machine, that's his choice about his job, right? You can get new jobs, you can switch, you can change, you can move, right? And did your mother date after your father moved out? Yes. Took a while, but she got she got back into the dating scene. And how did that go? For 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 her or for me or my brother? Both. Uh, Both. So, uh, for her for her it went well i mean she's she's remarried now she has another child um and now pretty steady very good good marriage good strong bond um i give the guy that she's with now her new husband a lot of respect uh just because of the life he's lived and the changes he's made throughout his life um, what is the life that he's lived? What do you mean? Athletically, what, what fresh hell is this, Randy? Athletically, he was very successful, but uh, the athletic side, he had to be he had to be violent in his sport, and he 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 I, he had a hard time turning it off in in reality, and uh, so he was pretty violent and uh intimidating and uh you mean with you guys no well yeah he was he was tough with us it, it, i was intimidated by him yeah I, I i was afraid of getting him angry you know he never hit me no man no man has ever ever hit me in or or touched me in an aggressive or sexual or threatening way but just the tone of voice the um how did you know, sorry to interrupt, but how did you know he was violent then? 
because from what I've heard about him, um, I've seen I've seen him play his sport, and you know, <laughs> tough guy. Uh, <laughs> so he wasn't violent with your mom. No, no, very protective, very very protective, and not verbally abusive. So he was not abusive or hostile with your mom. No. Okay. Absolutely not. But but you were scared of him. Yes. And when did he uh, start hanging around your mom and you guys? How old were you? I was probably around 11 or 12. Right. Yeah. Right. And your parents, why did they get divorced? Uh, at the time, uh, it was my understand. well, as I was growing up, it was, I understood that my dad was sleeping around. What do you mean you understood? Did you get that from a Ouija board? I mean, did someone tell you? What do you mean? Oh, family members would tell me. My mom would tell me. Uh, oh, your mom told you that your, the reason you got divorced was that your father was sleeping around. Right. Yeah. And the no, reason she got well, divorced. And, and, and uh, Stefan, please. That's um, appropriate. Please, yeah. Please, please understand that um, uh, my dad left. He wanted to be with other women. I don't. I, uh, how should I put this? It's my understanding now that he left to be with other women. But, but knowing what I know from my mom, it wouldn't surprise me that he left because he couldn't handle her. And what uh, about her could he not handle? Uh, she's the she's a product of an emotionally absent father who was a pilot. So he's always on the road. He's never home. And her mom, my grandmother was an alcoholic. So, um, yeah. And that's causal. So there was nothing she could have done about it. No way she could have changed. Yeah. This, well, this is just it, right? I mean, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the things that I'm, I'm talking about, I look at it through the lens of what I've seen through your videos and no, she never went to go get help. She never went, seeked counseling. The only time she ever went to counseling was when I was in counseling and I said, you should come. And yeah. Right. And I just. The victim mentality. Well. Right. The victim is hard to play unless people give it to you. Right. You can't play the victim. And men know this, right? You try crying if you're upset and people are like, ooh, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, no white knights for the men, folk. But um, no, and I, I just, look, I, I could have every excuse in the world to be a terrible person. Uh, every excuse in the world growing up. I could uh, give myself permission to be a terrible person and everyone could say, yeah, yeah, well, but look at his childhood and, and this and that, right? Understood, yeah. So um, I don't give myself that permission. See, to use... An abusive history as an excuse is to reinflict that abuse on others. Inevitably. Inevitably. And I, I don't buy it for a second. I don't buy it for a second. If you know how dysfunctional 
abuse is, then of course you don't do it. Of course you, you don't accept that as a cause for you to indulge yourself that way. I mean, that's the one thing you would know for sure. It's like if you grow up seeing an alcoholic, don't drink. You know what it looks like. You know how it seems. You know the results. Right. You don't do it. Like you see, you see your, your father smoking four packs a day and dying of lung cancer at 50. You're like, well, I'm really not going to smoke now, am I? Because I've seen what happens. Right. So for me, people who come from dysfunctional histories have, in a way, less excuse than the muggles, so to speak, right? Less excuse than the people who didn't. Because they've seen what it's like. They know exactly how destructive that kind of behavior is. Right. And, and Stefan, I should be clear, uh, my mother comes from the, you know, her father, my grandfather was a pilot. He was on the road all the time. He was never at home. And my grandmother was an alcoholic. My mom doesn't really drink, but you can see... You know, if you've spent some time with her, you can sense the scars, the emotional scars deep, deep, deep inside where my my father comes from an environment where my grandfather on my dad's side is extremely, extremely controlling and very um, manipulative. My, my nana on my dad's side is an angel. She got a halo over her head. Um, but my dad is, he, as he's gotten older and gone through life, he's very like, uh, <clears throat> he knows what he did was wrong and he can recognize it and he goes to the counseling and he gets help and he, you know, um, he's changed a lot. And how do I know this? Well, I had a, I have a sister. He has a daughter with another woman, and this this girl, this young woman, really is a class act. And what she's doing with her life now is unbelievable. And I kind of have to assume that's a bit of a testament to my father, you know, and his changes. Hmm. So... I'm going to give you a mental image here. This is my mental image. It's not your life, not any definition of you. I'm just going to share. Okay. The mother has a hole in her chest. And out of the hole in her chest, her blood is pouring. But rather than go to the hospital, she takes her son's face and pushes it into the wound to staunch the bleeding. And that son then grows up as a band-aid to emotional, reaction, over, emotional overreactions on the part of women. Yes. That women who don't manage their own emotions, who overspill, whose cup of feelings runneth over, that you are there with a mop and a bucket and a fix-it-upper. Yes. And women blurp. You know, you've heard this on this show when people just open their mouth and blurp. Here's my big wriggling half-dead carp of experience and history wriggling on the table and good luck hitting it with a rolling pin, right? And so if I had to guess, uh, you know, and particularly struck by your mom saying, uh, you, you kids are going to put me in the hospital or whatever, right? Well, that's saying basically that you, you have to change your behavior because your mom is upset. 
Oh, oh and yeah. people people yeah. who are people who are unable to control their own feelings or manage their own feelings always end up having to control other people. You must change because I am upset. You must alter your behavior because I am upset. Your freedom ends where my feels begin. Understood. Yeah. No, you're right. Was that at all a history with your dating life prior to this? Yeah, yeah. Stefan, get this, eh? Check this out. Uh, a lot of these women that I get involved with, <clears throat> if they're very emotional very quickly, I emotionally I run. I feel like I run away. I'm like, well, that's a red flag, you know, get out of there. But you can't leave. <laughs> but physically, I stick yep. around for the physical stuff. She needs something. She needs something. And I, as a man, must provide it. She needs to be held. She needs security. She needs comfort. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm afraid of scaring you off, Randy. Yeah. So oh, I must reassure her that she's not going to scare me off. I must reassure her that I'm here. Right. I'm going to stay because she's upset if I leave and she really likes me, but she doesn't want to scare me off. That's programming you to stay with no sense of self-preservation. Right. It's the need of the woman, the need of the woman, the need of the woman. Frick. Yeah. No, I it's know. a black hole. It's quicksand. It's right. And you're right. And so just to add on a little bit here, what goes on in those situations is um the emotional side like i said i i run away but i stay for the physical stuff but at the same time i want to be like i want to act like i'm i want to be there for them i want to be at least a friend you know like a shoulder Wait, you to... stay for the physical stuff but you want to stay to be a friend well which is it uh, unless you have orgies with your male friends that you haven't shared with me, and it's okay if you don't, no. uh, then saying I want to stay there to be a friend yeah. and I stay for the sex yeah. does not compute, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm staying. Yeah. I, I'm, I'd be staying for the sex then. Yeah. And what if this woman you impregnated, we assume, yeah. if this woman were a man, right? What value? Would she bring to you? Uh, Just a man. Yeah, no, I'm understanding. Not a wingman, not no, a good-looking guy who can attract women, not a guy who makes you look smarter. Just Understood. No, um, good conversation, ideas. Uh, I know that those aren't necessarily virtues, but... Uh, we we get along well. We get along well. But I'm going to add again to what I was saying. Well, you, of course you get along. Yeah. She needs and you provide. Yeah. She needs and you provide. She needs emotional reassurance. You're right there with emotional reassurance. She needs sperm. Here you go. Here's a cup, honey. Good luck, right? I mean, you, she needs and you provide. Of course you're getting along because you're not there. Because she's like, oh, I'm, I'm so emotional and, and I want you to be here, but I'm afraid of sharing my feelings with you and, and I don't want to scare you off and uh, uh, cry, cry. Good Lord, where are you in that? Where's her focus on your feelings? 
Yeah. No, I- Has she had long conversations with you probing and asking you how you are experiencing this massive change in your life? Not, no, not, uh, if, if we were to compare it with how she's doing and how she's feeling, it's not even close. We went to, we went to a, a counselor a few days ago and, um, you know what that's like, uh, the counselor is just going to tell me. No, no, some can be good and some can be not good. Okay, I don't know okay, exactly what that right, was like with right. yours. Okay. Okay. Mine was, you know terrible if it was a female counselor she chose then yes i'm pretty sure i understand what what it was like but go on okay you know telling me i don't have a choice i don't have any choices in this whole situation it's like just put up and shut up you know i mean she could have said that the counselor could have said that and the message would have been loud and would have been the same and it was still loud and clear right female in group preference is the physics of the modern Western world. So how much time, Randy, has she spent trying to figure out how you're handling all of this and what you're thinking and feeling about all of this? Not initiated by you, but uh, how much time is she spending focusing on your experience of this change? Uh, Not... When we were in, the, when we were with the counselor, she no, 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 oh, no, okay. doesn't count. Okay, no, it doesn't count. Okay, okay. doesn't Understood. count. Not very much. I, I how much? <laughs> give me some. Give me some time. Days, hours, weeks, minutes, seconds, nanoseconds. Okay, nothing. Stefan, we hang out all weekend. Yeah, I, I go and spend time with her. I go to her place. I go to her city. How? Oh, yeah. It, Look, she told you she couldn't get pregnant. Yeah. Thus, implicitly encouraging you not to use birth control, right? Yes. So she got pregnant while assuring you she could not get pregnant. Right. That is a huge change for you. Now, she stands to gain a huge amount through this process. Legally, as far as I understand it, I'm no lawyer, but legally... She can go ahead with the pregnancy. She can get uh, child support from you. She can do all of that. So you have, and you have no say. No say. I know. So she told you, I can't get pregnant. And then she got pregnant with your baby. Has she spent no time trying to figure out how that makes you feel? Not really, no. No. Well, that's an important piece of information, don't you think? Yes. And what do you think that might mean? Oh, that's a red flag. What do you think that might mean? She doesn't care? Well, that's a bit of a broad statement. I mean, if you left the country, she'd care, right? <laughs> I mean, so um, what does it mean that you're in this situation because she either lied or was just wrong in pretty much the most important thing that's going to happen to you as an adult. You're in this situation because of what she said. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means that I should be worried that it's going to happen again. Where is her empathy and curiosity and concern for you? 
Yeah. Or is it all about her? How she feels, what she's scared of, what she's excited about, what she's nervous about, how she doesn't want to feel that doesn't want to worry you, or how she has having trouble. Is she just focusing on her own emotional experience? Or is there any room for you as an emotional person, as an emotional being who's in this situation because of your choice? You didn't use protection, but you didn't use protection partly just out of idiocy and partly you said you didn't want to be involved, and she basically pussy-bombed you, right? Yes. Right? I mean, oh, oops, I guess my towel fell. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's... It was a genetic sperm jack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can say no, but uh, it's a challenge for men. I mean, women know how men are wired, right? Right. And interestingly, to that point, to that point that you just said, the first time we hung out and we kept our clothes on, nothing happened. We had a really good conversation and we, you know, we got along and talked about some of the things that the the challenges we've been through in life and how we've changed over the years and where we want to be in five to 10 years. So, yeah. I guess that's changed. (laughs) You're telling me. So how did she, I mean, I don't know what you should do. I'm still just trying to figure out what's going on, but, but Randy, how did, how did she, how did she get in? What, what, what signals did you, do you think you gave her that this could happen? Uh, well, she, she knows a little bit about my past and I, I, I don't say this in a braggadocious way, but I I can I, in my past I've I I liked having a lot of women around. You you slept with a lot of women. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes. And so you were a man whore, uh, a himbo, and you slept with a lot of women, right? Yeah, I throughout my and this is something that you view as like a big plus, right? At the time, yes, but as I've gotten older, like I said, in the last couple of years, her and I have both changed a lot in that regard. You know, banging a lot of women in the Victorian era or okay. even in the 1950s was game okay. because there were husband, there were there were fathers around, fathers raising these women. Yeah. So you had um, higher quality women who were having menstruation later, who didn't have daddy issues, who weren't looking for, uh, you know, a hairy dude to fill the hairy hole in their hearts, right? Right. So... You know, having I, I will credit guys in an amoral sense for having game in the Victorian era in the 1950s, you know, with shotgun marriages and, and all of that. Okay. Sleeping with lots of women now, it's about as tough as one rabbit banging another. Right. I mean, it's it's not game. You're it's right. like saying, wow, I'm a I'm a I'm a great businessman because I, I found a lottery ticket that won. You know, <laughs> like, okay. no, I, if you're a great businessman, build a business. But women now have been so plowed under by father absence and feminism and, and all of the the leftist female vanity inflating bullshit that comes out of the mainstream media Understood. that sleeping with women now. I mean, not sleeping with women now is the smart move is the cool move is you know like but but so oh i slept with a lot of women it's like well yeah there there are in fact a lot of broken women out there i beat up a lot of half dead hobos that does not make you mike tyson understood okay so you slept with a, a lot of women 
Yes. And so you had some game, right? And you know how to seduce a woman. And I guess she knows how to seduce a man. And so you were both, what? What were you looking for from her? You didn't want a relationship with her. Yeah. Why not? Um, Was that game? Were you playing hard to get? I mean, what? No. I, you, she lives. It would have been a long distance relationship. Um, she's older than what I, what I wanted initially. Um, just going by some of the, the education that, that you provide, I knew that she was a little bit broken. You know, she doesn't, she's not close with any of her family, mother, father, sisters, you know. Well, um, neither am I. That doesn't mean that you're okay. broken. That might and mean that you're fixed, but go on. Just the fact that uh, she puts up she seems to have put up with a lot of crap from past from guys in her past and she never she doesn't call it quits when somebody is just disrespectful you know how many boyfriends has she had uh from what i know <clears throat> probably three or four hmm. two Two that I know of, like I know their names, and I've heard all about them. So, but she was in a verbally abusive relationship for over ten years, right? Yes, a verbally abusive relationship for over ten years. Raising this guy's kids, right? Being the right. being the mom, being the providing the fem the the feminine energy. You know, I don't know if being verbally abused is feminine energy. She was providing the verbal punching bag for this sadist, right? Right. Yes. In front of his kids. Yes. And and now, so she, the kids, I assume, bonded with her. Yes. And uh, now she's gone. Right. And you, who grew up with a distant father, now may rep reproduce that role, right? And yes, and this is why I'm calling. Is I, you know. I don't want to be, I want to be present. You know, yesterday I watched your, your, your show on, uh, on, uh, on single mothers. And I, I just, it, it just bothers me that I don't want to be a distant father. Right. It goes back to what you were saying about, you know, if your if your parents an alcoholic and, and they smoke four packs of cigarettes a day, you shouldn't go and start smoking and drinking. Right. So I seen how my dad was and I, I want to be more present emotionally and physically, right? Yes, but Randy, here's the barrier, in my humble opinion. It's all just my opinion. Did either of your parents tell you to stop fucking around? You're in your 30s, right? And not early 30s. So when did your parents ever say, put your dick away? Douchebag, you're not 17 anymore. Find a good woman. Settle down. This is going to be bad for you. It's giving you the wrong habits. It's giving you putting out the wrong signals. When did anybody sit you down and say, you know, it's not just women who have a clock as well. And it's not just women who get damaged by promiscuity. It's men as well. So was there anyone in your life, and I would assume it would be the parents' role, to say, Okay, so you can dip your wick 
in a broken candle that does not make you Superman. And you've got to stop trolling these low-rent women and start building a case within your own heart and your life for a quality woman to find you attractive. Mm -hmm. This trawling the bottom depths of broken femininity is an unworthy pursuit of any decent man. Yeah. You can find hysterical, broken, desperate women to sleep with you. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a hero, right? I mean, did anyone ever bring that up with you? Yes. Uh, good. Okay, yes. good. Tell me what happened. Uh, some of my some of my very good friends uh, had mentioned, you know, because of my age and and like I like I said, uh, like over the last couple of years, I've kind of I've wanted to find somebody, right? And because my past, I feel like it was so ingrained that I just kept repeating stupid patterns and i kept doing it and doing it and i kept saying yeah i want to change i want to change but and i think i i definitely know that i repulsed some very very good classy women i know that so. um because they've known some of my past they know the types of women that i'd been with right and um yeah but to go back to your question yes friends had mentioned gotta stop you've yeah so right and your father <clears throat> he uh he never said no, there was never any mention of you've got to stop. You're not going to meet a quality woman behaving like this. Uh, but didn't he didn't he lose a marriage because he wanted to sleep around? Yes. So you you told me earlier. Yeah. This sounds accusatory, but I'm Yeah, no, it's okay. Don't mean it that way. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm But Randy, you told me earlier that your father had wised up, uh, you had a great half sister, he'd learned from his mistakes, he'd figured things out. Mm -hmm. But didn't he lose a family? Yes. Through promiscuity? Yes. Or the desire for it? Yes. So he knows how bad promiscuity is. Yes. So right. why wouldn't he sit you down and say, dude, you know, spear fishing this awful is not being a great fisherman? No, you're you're right. So why why wouldn't he tell you? If my daughter is wandering towards traffic. Why, like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he say something? Steph, Stefan, here, maybe this will shed some light on it because, because he wasn't around emotionally, he might feel like he always wants to be your buddy. Right. So be your buddy and tell you to stop screwing around and settle down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You are an excuse machine for people around you. And I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, and you'll hear that. I hope you'll listen back to these convers this conversation. Every time I come up with something that is unpleasant, yeah. you start spewing out excuses left, right, and center. Yeah. You excuse things away for are, other people. Are, are, are you, yeah, you're, are you talking for other people or? For you, other people. Okay. Who in your life, Randy, 
has focused on what you feel, on what you think, on your needs, on your preferences, on your desires, and how to achieve them? Uh, me? Nope. Okay. No, because if you had, you'd have sat down with yourself and said, well, you know, I'm getting to be in my mid-30s. I'm really not getting any place good. And uh, right? Okay. Um, you know what? So, some of these good, classy women that I missed out on would, um, they would tell me, you know, you're a good guy. I really like you. But... I'm worried that your past and the things that you've done in your past are going to come back and, and, and influence you again. What did they mean by that? That you would not be faithful to them because you're a hound dog? Yes. Right. They didn't trust me. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Right. And um, when was the first time that happened? Um, when I was in my late twenties. Right. So a little over half a decade ago, a woman said, um, a quality woman, you, you say, said, um, you're not a man who can be trusted by a quality woman. And what did you do with that? I kept, I kept behaving the way I was. I'd, I've been in counseling a few times for this specific reason, but I, up until, yeah, up until a lot. Well, you mean promiscuity? Is that, yeah, is that what you mean with this yeah, particular reason? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, up, up until the last year or two, I, uh, I would always go back to old ways. Uh, do you, you mean like booty called through the black book kind of thing? Um, yeah, booty, yeah, booty call, you know, go to a club, meet somebody, um, online. Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't women you'd had sex with before that you were getting in with. Right. You're just trolling bar trash and online trash and father reject stuff, right? Yes. And what do you think about that now? What do I think about it now? I, I what it's yeah, cost you? Yeah, no, Stefan, you're. I, I mean, you're. You're totally right. I. I. I kind of no. I. I feel. I hate. I hate saying this word, but I kind of regret it. Why do you hate saying that word? Seems like something worth regretting. I think I don't have any regrets. <laughs> I mean, do, yeah. do you? I mean, it oh, is. And, and, and why I couldn't. It, it led you here, right? If you hadn't been trawling the bar trash, then you wouldn't be here. If you'd changed in your 20s to restrain your wanderlust penis, yeah. right? Yeah. To, to stop being dicknapped by every piece of available coos that sachets past your eyeballs, then you wouldn't be in this situation right now. Right. This is the end road yes. of this right? Yes. So given that where you're in is a very risky situation. Yeah. Yeah, I know. 
This is, you know, it's interesting. What's interesting is no, uh, no, 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 no. Regret, sorry. regret. Let's get back okay. to that. Okay. I don't know if it's okay. fucking interesting. Okay. Regret. Okay. You say it's odd thing to say. Why? Why? Why is it odd to say? Because I don't like because p past mistakes and failures have led themselves to great learning lessons. But this is a lesson that is. No, this learning lesson involves another human being who needs a father. This yeah. isn't something for you to get get your uh, holistic groove on and move to the next plateau of experience, right? No, and I don't want to do that. I want to be there for the child. Like it, that's my number one priority. Okay. Yeah. This I mean, is the basic pendulum that you're not seeing yet. Okay. So I'll spell it out. Okay. And it's not because you're dumb. You're a smart guy. It's just. You know, we, we see everything in the mirror but ourselves sometimes, right? Okay. So here's the deal. Okay. You used women for sex. Yes. You used women for sex, and now a woman is going to use you for money. And that's what happens when you use people. You become vulnerable to being used yourself. If you use women as deposits for semen, if you use them as holes to fill, if you use them for a sense of sexual prowess or physical release, if you use them as objects, as, as utilities mm -hmm. for blue ball relief. If you use women as a utility, guess what? One woman is going to look at you and say, all right, I'm going to use you as a utility, not for sex, but for resources. Using people opens you up to being used yourself. Because rather than face the pain of having used women and damaged them, you instead can't fight back against being used. Because once you say, well, it's really wrong that she might want to use me, that she might be untrustworthy, that she might want to use me for resources, then you say, well, it's wrong to use people. But you know these women who you had sex with. I'm not saying they're not moral agents, but they're not on the call with me right now. The women you had sex with, you used them. And you damaged them, and you lowered their capacity to meet a good man. Right? Because the more partners a woman has, the less marriageable she is. So it's a double standard, but that's the way we mammals work, right? And so, and we've got this uh, chart, which we've used uh, a number of times before. That it's linear, dose-dependent. Right? The more cocks, the less rocks. <laughs> Right, the fewer diamonds on your on your wrist. Oh, and and the more sexual partners a woman has, the less likely she is to stay married. It's in the truth about sex presentation. So you satisfied your empty lust for low quality women, thus making them even more low quality, thus making them even more volatile, even more depressed, even more anxious, even more damaged. You just went and spearfished them through the vagina, through the heart. Yeah. damaging them for your lust. And now the player gets played. And that's the price of using people, is you can't see when you're going to get used. And the fact that people around you, like the, the reason I'm saying this is because I care about your heart. I, I, I want you to have the happiness that is going to elude you. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Thank you. I'm not saying this because I want to be mean, but because this is the stuff your dad should have said to you or some damn person should have said to you. Stop it. This is an addiction. It is damaging you. It is damaging other people. 
And if you use people, you're going to get used. And these women didn't have anything to offer except their pussies, right? Yeah. And you used them for their pussies. You threw them on a pile, and other men threw them on a pile, and now no one's going to marry them. No one's going to have babies with them. No one's going to. Right? This lust has carved out this general underpopulation that's facing Western societies. A bunch of men using a bunch of women for sex. Yeah. Those women become unmarriageable, unstable. Like, you, you can handle it in a way much better than a woman can. Yeah. It's just how we're wired, right? Right. Men are promiscuous and women need to pair commitment because they're the ones who haven't raised the children in general as we evolved. Yeah. You can handle it better than they can. But it's sort of like if you, you, you don't go drinking and having shots contest with 12-year-olds because 12-year-olds can't handle it and you can And it's the same thing with promiscuity. Men can handle it to some degree, although it leaves you open to this kind of emotional vulnerability, this blind spot about being used. You can handle it. Women can't. They get smashed up and broken by promiscuity in a way that is not proportional to men. So it's like you're out there doing shots with a 12-year-old without recognizing that your body can handle it. The 12-year-olds can't. And women's hearts cannot handle being used, they call it the walk of shame. You've heard this, right? Yes. Is there a walk of shame for men? No. There's the Mick Jagger strut of pride, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got some, right? And she, for her, it's the walk of shame. Why is it called the walk of shame for women? Because there's the double standard. No. Because women should be doing doing that sort of stuff with people who or men who want to commit with them. Because me plus vagina is a giant negative. If I have to offer a vagina to a guy to have him interested in me, I'm I'm worthless. I'm 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 worse than worthless. It's like if, if you if you can only get friends to hang out with you if you're buying everything. Hey, coming out with me. No, I'll buy dinner. I'll buy. Okay, fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It has to be you plus a thousand dollars of spending on your friends. That means you are minus a thousand dollars worth of friendship to begin with, because you got to throw in a thousand dollars to get people to hang with you. Yeah. And if a woman has to drop the V bomb on a guy just to get his attention, he doesn't like her and she knows it. She knew when she was walking around in that towel that she needed the V-bomb because you didn't like her. And you already told her you didn't like her that much because you said uh, didn't want to have sex with her. Who do you have to be plus? Me plus, me plus. I talked all about this in the Robin Williams presentation. Who do you, what do you have to add to yourself to be a value? Now for the woman to get a man's attention you know, by flashing the vagina searchlight directly into his cum-bleeding eyeballs. She's saying, I have to stimulate his swinging dick lizard brain because I have nothing to offer him. 
except sexual release. I have nothing to offer him except a hole. And that means in her personality, in her soul, in her heart, in her mind, she has nothing to offer him except a hole. There's a horrible joke which says, what do you call the useless tissue that surrounds a vagina? A woman. It's a terrible joke. But this is what, when a woman promotes her vagina front and center, sexual access front and center, she's saying, I have to do this with you because of the useless tissue that surrounds it, which I think is going to be me. So she gives sex for you. She gives you sex. She blows you. She fucks you, whatever it is, right? And then, and then she has to try and keep you. Well, she's going to throw more sex at you, and then she's going to sob, and then she's going to say, I'm going to drive you away, and I'm not that nice. I'm not that likable a person. Here's more sex. Will you stay now? I'm really not that. I just, I don't, I don't have much to value. Here's more sex. Well, that can't sustain, right? Right. And that's the price of being a player is you get played, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you got played big. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, again, I have, I have my suspicions, but I don't know the truth. You don't know the truth about this uh, cyst syndrome or whatever. She could be pregnant or not. But the reality is she's not focusing on you. You are a utility to her. You are not an individual human being with your own thoughts, processes, emotions, needs, preferences, and experience. Your life just got ripped Six ways from Sunday, right? Yes. This is on your mind 24-7. Nothing else. I mean, th- this, is, this is it. I mean, yeah. this, you are going to be a father. I know. I mean, this is the biggest change you had since being born. Yes. Agreed. Going from the inning to the Audi, and now <laughs> you're going to have a baby. You're going to be a father. And what is that going to do to you? screwing around what is that going to do to your finances to to your time commitment to your decisions to your resource allocation to your professional opportunities everything yeah everything everything and she hasn't asked you one goddamn thing about the situation that her lies and your trust put you in or her story her i shouldn't say lies that's begging the question her statements and your Belief in them puts you in this situation. If you don't have any experience, Randy, of anyone caring about what you think and feel, this is going to be a challenge. You are going to become, as most men do, I believe, around the world, uh, a ghost of resource provision. There to serve the mother of your child, there to serve your child, there to serve her family, there to serve their needs, there to serve, 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 like a money-pumping, half-invisible slave with no needs of his own. Yeah. And if you get a son, that's what he's going to see. And if you have a daughter, that's what she's going to expect. If that's who you are, you need to start showing up to your own life, Randy. You have a right, and it's hard to say this to men, because when we're providing resources, yeah, we get along great, sure. 
you know, if, if you're a slave and you're doing good work and you never try to escape and you never cause any trouble, sure, we get along great. But as soon as you, the, the, the challenge to relationships is not when you are getting along well. The challenge to relationships is when you have needs that conflict with the other person's preferences. That's the only reason you need a relationship. And you're so unused to having opinions that differ from others, you're afraid even of the word regret, because having the word regret is saying, I now disagree with my history, with the choices I made half a decade ago or a decade ago. Yeah. You can't even assert your own needs against your historical choices. So, with regards to this woman, obsessing over the truth or falsehood of what she said, I don't know that that's going to lead you anywhere because you'll never know. Mm -hmm. Right? You'll never. I mean, you could get her entire medical record. Whatever. I don't know, right? But... I mean, there's ways you could say that. You could say, look, if we end up together, what if we have another kid? I need to know what the odds are, what the opportunities are. Let's go sit down with your gynecologist. Let's go sit down with your doctor. Let's go over all of this stuff and figure out what the hell happened. You sit down with the doctor and you say, well, she said she couldn't get pregnant. The doctor says, well, I never said that. Ooh, <laughs> really? Who knows, right? I mean, there's right. ways you may be able to get information with her permission, of course, as far as I understand it. That's the way yeah. it would work. But, um, yeah. but the fact that she's not asking you anything about your thoughts and needs. You know, it's it's funny because we're always told how empathetic women are, but all she's doing is focusing on her own thoughts and feelings and not at all on yours. So where's, where's all this fabled empathy that's supposed to be flowing out the treacly hearts of women? All this empathy. You know, I see, I see them all over buying Hallmark cards and, and flowers and little balloons for people who are sick and bring bacon pies and bringing them over. It's like, but, but where is the curiosity, care, and concern for the lived experience of men's hearts? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. People who aren't focusing on you are using you. People who aren't listening to you are using you. And you have, I think, a long history of having been used. That's why I had that image of the mother with the wound and the f boy's face in the wound. Mm -hmm. So... If there's a way, if there's a way to connect with your girlfriend in a way that makes your feelings real to her, a lot of women have a lot of resistance to this. Okay. Um, you can watch a movie. It's a it's a great movie called The Red Pill by Cassie J. And in it, she's got a video diary as she's going through men's rights issues, and she's you can see her struggling very nobly struggling to to recognize that men have needs that are inconvenient to others yes <laughs> right or aren't yeah. immediately convenient to others right and this is a huge struggle in society as a whole you know i've spoken at a men's rights conference or two and uh it's hard for people like society runs on the fact that men have no needs yeah, draft us, we'll go fight. Oh, put us down mines, we'll go dig up coal for women so they don't get cold at night. Oh, your electricity goes down, I'll go up and 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 maybe get electrocuted in a in a storm just to get the power up because some lady needs to dry her hair. You know, like I mean, we, we, the whole society we have is based on women being this. Uh, sorry, based on men being these these empty vessels, just like slaves serving the needs of others. 
I watched a um, um, fail army. No, it wasn't fail. You know these these fail videos that are on, seems to be about a third of the internet yeah, at times on YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. So watch work fails and see how many women in in, in those. And so far, zero. Oh no! I think one woman fell over in an office chair, right? But there's a reason why the vast majority of workplace fatalities, what is it, 94% are male. Yes. We just, we're not used to having needs. We, we just serve the collective. We serve the Borg. We're like those fucking ants. Or the, the bees just go out and fight and, you know, <laughs> serve, serve the hive. Or we're just worker bees. We're soldier bees. We're worker ants. And... What a fantastic potential to become real to a woman, because not many men even are aware of this, right? I mean, before we talked about this today, is it fair to say that this was not something very vivid in your mind? What do you mean? What? What? What's just the idea that you should have needs and people should care about what you think and feel and should be really interested in, you know, the fundamental words are not I love you that show you care about someone. Anyone can say that. The fundamental three words that say you care about something, it's not I love you, it's tell me more. Oh, you feel this? Tell me more. Oh, you think this? Tell me more. Oh, you had this dream? Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. How many times do you hear that in your life? You have some thoughts, some impulse, you mention it, and someone sort of sits down, looks you in the eyeballs and says, tell me more. Bad male robot having needs that go against the hive, that go against the gynocracy. Bad male robot. No. And and, and so, Stefan, um, when I do, so after this situation came up, you know, and the, I've told her, I said, I have needs of, I didn't say I have needs, but I don't want this child yet. You know, why couldn't we be together for at least a year and then mutually decide that this is what we want to do? When I told the counselor, I, I would like some choice. And she said, no, you have no choice. And she's right. I mean, you, you have choice if she's going to respect your choice. But I'm, I'm telling you, she's having this baby. Okay. And, and, and legally, as far as I understand it, I don't even tell me where you are. But legally, she can choose to end the pregnancy. You, you can't. Understood. If she terminates the pregnancy against your wishes that's perfectly fine if she continues the pregnancy against your wishes that's perfectly fine legally if you terminate the pregnancy against her wishes you go to jail for decades yes because because it's a patriarchy don't you know Fuck. women and i'm not saying you first. should obviously i'm just saying that's the law right yeah yeah she's gonna have the baby because she's i mean as soon as she calls it the miracle baby yeah you don't back out of that, or is it? Uh, yeah. I don't back out of that. And and what's what's their downside? What is the negatives for her having this baby? What's the problem for her? I mean, she for sure is going to get the money either from you or from the government if she chooses not to work. So gonna, there's no negative financially, right? She's got companionship. She's got uh, someone who's going to be around with her for the rest of her life. Someone who society says can never leave her. Right? Yeah. Husbands can leave. Lord forbid. It's not talking about volunteerism between adult children and their parents. Ooh. 
So what's the downside for her? What's she got look what's she got to look forward to if she doesn't have this baby? Well, she could say, well, you know, maybe I'll give it a try with this guy and we'll try again in a year. But her doctor, as she claims, already said she was couldn't get pregnant. This is the miracle baby. She's not going to try and see if she can roll six sixes in a row <laughs> with the next roll of the dice, right? Right. So if you want to be involved, then there's little choice but to try and make it work with her. Yeah. No, then that's what I'm thinking of because I don't want to be one of those drop-in dads that or or just an ATM or anything. I actually want to be I want to connect with this kid. I wanna I wanna lead them and guide them and uh I wanna I, I just wanna be a good role model, you know? Um I I I have this view that, you know, as a parent it's hard for me to speak of parenthood because I'm not a parent, but uh, you know, if I unleash a child into the world at you know whenever they move out, 18 or 20 years old, and they don't, if they take more than they contribute to society, then I did something wrong, and I I don't want that. Right. Yeah, right. I want to. But I think I think it's important to. I mean, you I talk to a lawyer. Right, make that investment. And I don't mean talk to a lawyer in an adversarial kind of way. Just understand the limitations of what you're facing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you're not married. No. Um, you have no, as far as I know, going, you, I don't know where you are, but just go, go, with, go to a lawyer and figure out what's going on. You need to figure out your negotiating position. If she holds all the cards, be aware of that. Yes. Right? I mean, it, it's sort of like if, if you're like the least favorite employee and the guy's been trying to fire you and you go in and say, I quit. Well, he's going to be like, bye, thank you for doing my job for me. But if you're the the employee that everybody loves and you're the foundation of the business, you go and say, I quit. Well, you've got a lot of leverage. So you can't negotiate without knowing your leverage and a lawyer will be able to step you through what is possible for you and what are the consequences. She may be saying this now. She's an emotional person. She might change her mind. You know, oh, I don't need anything, you know, but, you know, her friends, of course, her friends and her family should be sitting there saying, well, you need to sit down with this man and figure out what's going to happen because he didn't, you told him this wasn't going to happen. He made his decisions foolishly, but he made his decisions and her parents and her friends and everyone should be, but I assume they're all just letting it drift along and bump along and, right? Yeah. Do you think I'm, do you think I'm out of my mind to try to make things work with her? Well, no. Okay. No, no, not not if if you want to be an involved father. Yes. Then you can't be an involved father if you don't make it work with her, right? Right. That's my. You know what? If that's my top priority, right? Even when she's pregnant, right? These next eight months, nine or seven months, seven or eight months. You know, I want to. I want to be there. You know, so. So, but I think I would certainly go in there saying, look, I mean, you you could say to her, I know how excited you are about this pregnancy, how unexpected and how wonderful this is for you. But I, I, I need to be here emotionally as well. Yes. You, you need to, you need to recognize that I have strong, complicated, ambivalent feelings about all of this. I do want to make a go of it. I do want to be a, 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 an available and present father to my child. But right now, 
you're kind of looking at yourself only, and I'm like this sperm donor ghost in the background with no feelings of my own. I can't have that going forward. We need to be as curious about each other and as open about each other and as um, involved with each other's thoughts and feelings uh, as possible. And right now, it's kind of a one-sided game. Uh, it's you and a mirror, uh, and I'm not there yet. And I need to be there so that I can be fully involved because you, of course, want your children, your child, to grow up seeing two parents who are both interested and involved with each other, not one who's serving the needs of the other at the right. expense of himself. And uh, so at the counseling, we we want to go to couples counseling in order to fast track this get to know you period. Yeah, see if you can get a guy that you choose. Okay. You know, she's she's you can just say to her, listen, you're you're choosing to keep the the baby, which is great, but I'm going to choose a therapist. Okay. Someone who you feel comfortable with. Because if she has, if she's in a phase of self-regard, I'm going to put this as nicely as possible, and it may be the case. If she's in a phase of self-regard, then she's going to choose unconsciously a therapist who agrees with her and not is not open to your input, which it sounds like the last therapist, which is why I said, right? Right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd phone around. I'd talk to a guy who's, and, and not some cuck, you know, not some limp-wristed, uh, everything for the woman, uh, white nighty dude, right? But somebody who's... Has a spine. You know, got some, yeah, some balls and a spine. Not, not to make you fight or anything, but just you need to be visible in the relationship with the therapist as well as in the relationship with your girlfriend. In fact, probably the therapist, the visibility with you and the therapy will probably help with regards to how visible you can be with, um, with your girlfriend. So right. uh, that would be my suggestion. And I think that's a reasonable thing to say. You're not going to choose Charles Manson or something and find some decent person, but... Uh, you need um, you need to have a say in stuff, and she's having a say in the baby, which is kind of a big say. I think it's only fair that she give you the say. Oh, I don't trust that you're gonna. No, oh, no, no. You trusted me to father your child, and you trusted me to be the father of your child. So you need to trust me on this, right? Yeah, good point. That's true. Um, uh, there was something I was gonna say. You know, I just and I, like I said at the start of the call, I'm. I'm not confrontational. I'm rather diplomatic and I like talking things through and talking about challenges. Um, so I'm not the type to be emotionally abusive or uh, physically abusive either. Uh, no, emotionally neglectful towards yourself for reasons I can oh, thoroughly sympathize with. Well, but yeah. uh, no, I agree with you about that. Yeah. So like I said at the start of the call, uh, we do get along. And we communicate well, but you're right, it is very much. And the, Steph, correct me here if I'm wrong, shouldn't the focus be on her if she's pregnant? And shouldn't the focus, I, top priority, be on the baby? What do you mean, shouldn't the focus be on her? Well, she's... You're the father. Yeah, but... Why, why, why is it either or? Does she not understand that... It's it's sort of like you guys are partners now, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if if your partners in business saying, well, shouldn't the profit of one person only be served? It's like no, together, okay, right? Okay. You, you you need you you both need the. She needs to understand that focusing on you is not negative to her; it's positive to her. Yes, okay, because it build, yeah. it builds the the ties that bind that hopefully can keep you guys together as a jigsaw family for the future. Her getting focused on you, it doesn't steal something from her, 
right? It's not like you're in the desert and there's only one mouthful of water left and she's going to give it to you and die of thirst. You know, you you focus on the other person to build the, the, the intimacy, the connection, the ties that bind, that weave you together as a family. It's not a negative. It's a positive for her to focus on you. Okay. Okay. And she is because women are trained this way for the most part, Western women for sure. She's going to have a gravity well to bring it back to her. And you're just going to have to, you know, calmly and patiently just, nope, still here, still still talking, right? Let's still focus on me. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, and she's going to say, well, I don't feel comfortable just focusing on you. Or it makes me feel weird, depending how honest she's going to be. It's like, well, yeah, that's how I feel when I'm going to focus on you. So, you know, that's not, <laughs> let's get used to it, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you, by the way. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It. I hope you'll um, keep us posted about how yes, it goes. Yes, yes. I'll keep you posted. I'll email Michael, and um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a way to kind of push you into the spotlight for all the the knowledge that you share. Um, yeah. So. And uh, thanks, uh, Randy. I appreciate your honesty and your openness. And uh, good luck bringing this thing in for a landing. Uh, it'll be uh, great if you do. Thank you. All right. Up next, we've Brad. Brad wrote in and said. It has been a while since I've heard Stefan talk about school and education, but when he has, it's been quite interesting and influential. How is he currently facilitating the education of his daughter? What have they tried? What worked slash didn't work, etc.? I have a 26-month-old son who I would like to home educate, and since I met with stonewalling and naysayers at almost every turn, including from my wife, I would like to discuss his experiences and bounce some thoughts and ideas around. Or... In the seemingly unlikely event that he has chosen to send his daughter to public schools, what drove him to that decision? That's from Brad. Right. Hey, Brad, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thanks. Um, do you do you have kids, or is this more a future theoretical? Oh, no, I have a, a, a 26-month-old son. He turned two in September. Right. So right. no, no public school, obviously. <laughs> I, I assumed as much, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. there's no, no. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't conceive of, of that. I mean, if they change the laws, I just move. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to get too much in, into. I mean, I'll mention her here and there, and so on. I, you know, it's, it's her life, and I want her to choose uh, in the future how much she shares. Um, so, um, I. Private schools are a challenge because they have to follow the same curriculum. Mm -hmm. So I think you kind of get better education in some ways in terms of the, the form, but the content is kind of the same yeah. in, in many ways. So I think that's uh, a challenge. Um, I know there's a whole unschooling thing as well. And, um, I, you know, I've heard various reports on it. A lot of it's anecdotal. I don't know about it. There have been many studies. But um, I have found that um, uh, conversation is the primary education tool in um in my household in our household which is we we simply have conversations about things and those conversations are wide ranging and they uh, they um they go deep or or they just become goofy or whatever and there's a huge amount of information that you can get across just in a conversation um you know i mean if you just look at the the last call of randy i mean we got a lot of information back and forth just in a conversation so um, that, that to me, that's my sort of primary, I mean, I'm interested in so many different things and, uh, you know, if I interview someone cool on the show, which is just about everyone I interview, uh, then, um, uh, you know, I, I can share the information 
that I have uh, gleaned both in preparing for an interview and in executing the interview. Um, I can share all of that information and, you know, she'll ask lots of questions and all of that. So for me, the the primary thing is uh, to have um, a, uh, a a meaningful conversation uh, about life, the world, and, and its contents. And, uh, you know, where I don't have any particular patience and things, you can always bring in a tutor to focus on particular things. Uh, and so, um, I, you know, it's a bit of a patchwork, but it, it works, I think, really, really well. And uh, she's, you know, way ahead of uh, schedule. And um, uh, it, it's really enjoying it. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah, that I mean, it kind of sounds you, you sort of you touched on a couple things, a couple questions that I had about unschooling and public versus private. And um, that I mean, that it sounds like we're um, have pretty similar ideas as to, you know, what, what what's the best way to facil- facilitate the education of children. Um, so uh, I've I've read Dana Martin's book on unschooling and, um, you know, read some. Uh, you know, my experience is the same. It's mostly anecdotal um, that it works really great for people. And I could see why, I mean, you, if as a kid or as a child or any human really is um, interested, interested in something, then they're more likely to want to learn it and probably learn it a lot um, more easily and more thoroughly than if they were sort of forced to do it at uh, sort of random times. So um, do you, I guess the, I guess you know the the whole reason why this is kind of coming up is because you know having a two year old son it's not that we need to make a decision right away I mean if we were to send him to school it would be uh, you know a few years from now but um, you know my my wife's uh, experience with public school was I mean I guess it's you know she was pretty pretty much the perfect student. Um, Well, of of course, look, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt and I'll just be very brief here, but yeah, of of course, girls like government schools because government schools have been designed for girls um, (laughs) in many ways, right? So sitting in rows and being nice and, you know, like all this kind of stuff, your son will go mad. Right. Yeah, and and the, you can just read uh, Christina Hoffsamer's "The War on Boys" for more reading. on this. But uh, the the massive hysterical hysterectomy style feminization of early childhood is something that is uh, um, it's it, it could do to your son what Alex Jones claims gets done to frogs in certain rivers. So I'm just saying uh, <laughs> there is that there is that challenge. Yeah. I, so she um, and I mean it, it worked out well for her. She's a very successful career as a lawyer and um you know ivy league schools and top 10 law schools all that stuff i mean for me it was more um just kind of doing whatever i could do to skate by and more interested in friends and you know when i got out of school because it was boring as hell for you right of course yeah Yeah, it's a boring as hell whereas you know it's oh i mean it's all based on nonsense right it's all based on this idea that uh you know girls were were having a crisis of self-confidence and girls just right and so (laughs) you know because because girls mature earlier than boys but that which matures earlier generally ends up less complex yeah you know tadpoles tadpoles mature earlier than children but uh that doesn't mean that uh, a, a tadpole can play patty cake with you so um so anyway, it's it's all a bunch of nonsense, uh, and uh, again, it's just IQ and gender and all of the stuff not being understood uh, promotes all of this kind of social engineering. But yeah, it's become overly friendly 
to to girls, and I think in a way that is bad for them because it's overly adapted to girls, which means girls never think about compromising, right? Because <laughs> they don't have to. And, and so this is why you get all these snowflakes out there who don't know how to deal. Not that your wife's in this category, but in general, right? You get all these snowflakes mm-hmm. out there who are unable to deal with contrary information because it's been so perfectly adapted to 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 girls' immediate preferences and vanity uh, that, um, and it's not the schools, the media as a whole. Uh, that uh, it's uh, it's become, I think, a toxic environment for boys in particular, which is why they get nuked with these uh, SSRIs so much. Yeah, I was gonna uh, I was gonna say that my son is already, you know, he he's uh, just so independent and always wanting to, you know, go outside and run around and you know, with or without me, he is always. I'm a stay at home father, um, much due to your influence. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, but he's constantly. Um, just so independent. And I, 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 I hear lots of reports and read a lot about how um, boys are much more likely to uh, be diagnosed uh, with ADHD and ADD and, you know, get all the um, uh, prescriptions that go with that. And that's the last thing that I would want for my son. And so I'm a little bit protective of him in that way uh, against sending him to schools. And um, uh, I was going to say the, And do you want him? Do you want sorry? Do you want him to see a male authority figure outside of you? Of course, yes. Right, and and it's going to be estrogen fest, right? I mean, it's going to be the vagina monologue echo chamber uh, in his early childhood with uh, with women teachers. I mean, it's just it's because you know all male teachers who want to spend time must be pedophile. I mean, you know, this is (laughs) try that with blacks. Oh, if you're a black and you want to teach kids, but of course, white males, you know. Yeah, all our privilege and all. So, so uh, you don't want to put him in a, in a situation where, and this could be true of private schools as well, where it's just some coven, right? Some coven of estrogen privilege, and you know, it's fine. Maybe it's good for the girls. I don't know, but uh, I, you know, a, a few a few nutsets flapping in the breeze somewhere uh, in the vicinity is probably not the end of the world. You know, I, girls aren't that. You know, women aren't that great at raising boys. Like, I'm sorry, statistically, it's just a fact, which is why the sons of single moms tend to do so badly. Um, and you know. I think the obverse is true. I think I'm a good father to my daughter, but, uh, you know, especially when she gets older, I mean, isn't, you know, going to be progressively less of value that I have to offer her in certain, uh, <laughs> in certain situations or certain experiences. So, yeah, um, I, I just, I can't teach her to be a woman and she can't, you know, uh, my wife couldn't teach my son to be uh, a man. I mean, of course. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I was, so I guess kind of going back to how this all like why this is coming up for us now is, you know, it works so well for her and I have a different, you know, I had a different experience and while it wasn't overly negative, it also wasn't uh, very positive. I mean, I, I I feel like I could have spent those 12 plus years doing, you know, a lot more productive things um, in hindsight. And, um, you know, I, I guess just sort of moving forward as we, Ray, as he gets older and um, it kind of comes down to the line of what to do, um, you know, I'm trying to, having conversations about it usually ends up with, you know, no winner or loser, just sort of stuck in the same place. Um, and there's always, I mean, my, um, when you when you talk to people about home education, the first thing that comes up is always, as I'm sure you give you, you, in your experience too, is you know how are you going to socialize them well you know doing what i'm doing to you you know i'm socializing with you right now why would i why would i hide my child in my garage or something like that um so 
and then after that, it just becomes comes down to a want, wanting to um, make sure that my that are that they have the best teachers available. And I'm wondering how you feel about the idea that um, uh, it's more about facilitating the education of the child rather than being the child's educator. So teaching the child how to educate themselves or encouraging that is uh, more important than. No, I don't particularly feel that way but uh, i'm sorry i I was very rudely interrupted you with my enthusiasm please go ahead (laughs) Uh, maybe i I will if you get to finish your thought or sentence i apologize go ahead no i I, i'm i'm curious to to get your feedback on that um you know i obviously i'm here to to teach him certain things but when it comes to say um when it comes to like a specific subject like say let's just say mathematics um i'm not great at mathematics i'm sure i could relearn a lot of the stuff um and when it comes to, you know, it would be providing him with the materials and helping him through it. But in the end, he's kind of teaching himself. And if, you know, like you said before, if there was a, if we got stuck on something, hiring a tutor to come in and, you know, help guide him through it would be ideal. Well, no, I didn't say particularly stuck. I just, you know, maybe stuff you're not that interested in oh, or whatever it is. Right? Sure. Yeah. That too. Um, so I guess so you, you disagree with that. Why? Um, I guess why? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's the, the children can't teach themselves because they don't know the scope of what is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they know the womb and then they know the boob and then they know the bottle and then they know the crib and then they know the room and then they know the house and then they know the garden and right. They don't know the world. How, how do you even know how to measure what you're missing if there's not somebody out there more experienced who can bring to you the diversity of topics that you're not aware of? Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, you sort of you need to lure children to knowledge. You don't just sort of put them in the middle of a field and say, "Go explore." Right. You say, "Well, here's this, and here's that," and and you've got to get them to the field in the first place. You 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 lure them with knowledge, um, and uh, you don't just um, uh, tell them to to figure things out. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't tell them to figure out human relationships. Right. You would model good relationships with your spouse, with with them and so on. Um, I was just chatting with my uh, daughter today about, um, God, we spent like an hour and a half chatting about friends I had when I was a child and and the pluses and the minuses and the what went well and what went badly and 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 all of that. And uh, and and I wouldn't, you know, that that's all part of, you know, here's all of the things that can happen in relationships. I wouldn't want her to just go out and and try and figure all of that out Blind. And just think of it in terms of language, right? We do not let children invent their own language, right? We, we say to them, this is the word for tree, this is the word for elbow, this is the word for cat, right? And we teach them because they don't know all the words that are out there that are pre-assembled for their edification and their use. So we don't just sit there and say, well, you know, good luck with language, honey. And, you know, I'll catch you on the flip side. We, we say these are the words that are out there. And uh, here's, you know, here's why, no, no, that word is incorrect. No, you've spelt that wrong, uh, and so on, right? So when it comes to language, we don't just let them figure it all out. When it comes to math, we don't just let them figure it all out. We're like, okay, well, here's how you do the division, and here's how you do the multiplication, and here's the easiest way, and all that kind of stuff. So, no, I don't I don't believe in this uh, unschooling thing. I think, I know, you know, this is going to make me unpopular. These are just my opinions. I'm sure people who are... Uh, open enough to be unschooling can be open enough for questions or criticisms of the unschooling phenomenon mm-hmm. because children know, don't know everything that's out there. The most dangerous thing in life 
is the things that you don't know that you don't know, right? They're even less dangerous than the things you know that aren't so, right? Uh, because at least those can be corrupted. The things you don't know that you don't know. And children know nothing. Mm -hmm. They're born knowing absolutely nothing. They have potentiality, but they're born knowing nothing. And so if you're going to let them guide their own education, how are they even going to know what they're missing? How are they going to know if there are entire fields of, of, of study or, or topics that are out there that they might be completely fascinated by? You know, to me, being a parent is is just putting a whole series of things in front of your child until you get that thing that goes bang. Oh, that's it. You know, and, and then they'll, you know, and it could be anything. It could be chess. It could be dance. It could be philosophy. It could be computers. That's what it was for me, philosophy and computers, which is sort of my two big adult careers. So it could be just about anything. You know, and, and you, you read these stories of celebrities or whatever, and they say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the first time my mom took me to a dance show, I was mesmerized, my jaw hung open, I knew this was going to be my life. And you just keep putting things in front of them until they get that bang, you know, that's what I want to do. That's my thing. And, you know, it can change and all that. And it may only last six months, but you, you've got to give them their bang, their, their supernova of enthusiasm when their raw personality comes in touch with a stimulant that drives them. Um, you know, supernova, right? So how how are they going to figure all these things out? Uh, is your kid going to sit there and say, well, you know, I'm six years old. I think I'm going to go and see a Cirque du Soleil show and watch some tragic gymnast plummet from a height or something. But uh, they don't they don't know what's out there any more than they know what words to use. We have to tell them the words that, you know, once they know the words, once they know the math, they can do lots of creative things. But we give them the basic tools of, of language, of, of math, of relationships, uh, and, and uh, of general knowledge. And then maybe they can start to explore on their own. But um, you don't take a child into the woods and leave them there. Now, maybe after you've taught them a bunch of woodcraft and how to use their compass and, and, and give them a cell phone with a good signal, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Then you, you can let them explore. But that's later. That's down the road. Uh, and I'm not saying, of course, that the child's intellectual journey has to be mapped out to the last detail. But um, I think it's lazily uninvolved, uh, uninvolved and conflict avoidant to uh, not tutor your children. There's a reason you're the parent. There's a reason you're bigger. There's a reason your brain has matured and theirs is decades away from maturing. There's a reason why you pay the bills and not them. There's a reason why you go to work and they don't. There's a reason why you have to manage their bedtimes and their sugar intake because they can't make great decisions. Hell, not even a lot of adults seem to be able to make good decisions in these areas these days. There's a reason you're in charge and it's not abusive. It's natural. You know, my dentist is in charge of my teeth. I don't consider it abusive. She's a great resource to help me keep the clackers shiny. So uh, you're in charge. And, and this fear of authority, right, especially among libertarians or anarchists, I don't want to be authoritarian. It's like, no, sorry, that's your job. That's your job. You know, like, if, if, if I'm grinding my teeth, or I want my dentist to tell me, you know, hey, dude, you're turning your teeth into polyfiller powder, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't want her to be like, well, I don't want to be authoritarian. It's like, no, you're in charge of my teeth. Be authoritarian. You know, tell me what to do because you're the expert and I'm not. And so you're the parent. You're in charge. And, the, you know, there's a reason we don't give them the right to um, enter into contracts or, or vote or have cars or drink or whatever, right? Because their brains are immature. And to me, the, the parents who want to be egalitarian in this regard and say, well, you know, I wouldn't boss my brother about what to study and so on. Well, First of all, maybe you should. And secondly, <laughs> you wouldn't sort of say, well, you know, we've got to move house, oh, five-year-old of mine, so 
you grab that end of the couch <laughs> and we'll up pivot pivot right and the reason we don't do that is because their bodies are tiny and undeveloped and can't be matched up as an equal on their half of the couch to you yeah and so we we recognize with that with their bodies but their brains develop further than their bodies ever will you know the bodies will end up uh, twice as high as when they're like four years old or whatever they end up twice as high but if they're only twice as intelligent as when they're four well that's not good right so so the bodies are going to go on this uh, extrapolation uh sorry the bodies are going to going to go linear up but the brain goes extrapolation right Whoosh, straight to the sky to the stars that needs guidance that needs um control that needs feedback that needs restriction that all of that sort of stuff uh, there is the uh, and, and and the earlier the better, because you know if if you're going from Lisbon to New York and you're two degrees off, well you don't notice it when you're leaving Lisbon. Don't even notice it when you're 100 miles out of Lisbon. You're going to end up some completely different place than New York when you get across, right? So um, I don't like the fact that parents who are well, I don't want to exert any authority. It's like no, you must exert authority because your brain is mature and theirs. You know, it isn't. You know, well, we got to move house, but I don't want them to make make them feel lesser, so they're going to pick up their half of the couch. Damn it! It's like no, they can't because they're kids and they need to grow and they need to develop and they need to feel protected and they need to feel secure and they need to be bound in by structure. Children, and this has been proven many times, children are the happiest when they're bound in by structures that are predictable. That that's when they're the happiest. That's when they're the most productive. They can play when they know there's a structure around them. They can explore when they know there's a structure around them. Children in a fence, in a fenced backyard, will explore much further than children in an open field because they know where the limit is, right? So, uh, no, this, this, I don't want to be authoritarian. No, that's your job. That's what you signed up for. You had a child who's dependent upon you, whose brain is ridiculously immature and who needs guidance. You are the parent, be the damn parent, be the adult, be the mentor. And it doesn't mean you have to be a bully and it doesn't mean you have to be mean. Like, this just all avoiding this conflation. All authority must be mean. And that's got nothing to do with uh, a voluntarism or anarchism or libertarianism. It's no rulers. It doesn't mean no rules. And as Bakunin said, he said, uh, if people think that I reject all authority nonsense, when it comes to the making of shoes, I defer to the shoemaker. And when it comes to the making of human beings, defer to the parents. Be the parent, be in charge. Don't just be the buddy-buddy, but be the person who can guide and clear the path for the child to grow in the right direction because they sure as hell can go wrong. Yeah, uh, that was... Um uh you made a, a lot of really great points um and a, a lot of them somewhat surprising uh stuff that i wouldn't have ex necessarily expected you to say but do you you make good that's that's why you should listen because <laughs> yeah. if it was all predictable right yeah so uh, i guess I, I may have mis miscommunicated i um i didn't mean to say that i would uh just let him sort of guide his own life and however way he chooses i i do uh Try, I do practice, you know, I, I, I'm, I am the authority in this, in this relationship. Um, and I know, you know, like you said, they, he, if it were up to him, he'd probably have, you know, sweets all day and never go to sleep. And, uh, that would make for a cranky baby and a cranky dad. Um, and, and it would harm the intellectual development. Children need sleep for their intellectual development. They need good, solid, uninterrupted sleep. Uh, so that their brains can grow properly. Sleep is as important to the child's brain as as nutrition. That's fu it's funny you say that when he's uh, resistant to naps, and I know that he's tired. I ex I explained to him, I'm, who knows how much he actually understands, but explained to him that you know rest sleeping is good to so that he can grow up to be big, strong, and smart. So his brain, you know, 
and I'd tell him about how his brain grows when he's sleeping. And um, Yeah, you, you can't know. deny your child naps any more than you can deny them healthy food. I mean, it's the same level of, I believe, the same level of importance when it comes to their development. Yeah, so um, I think I think I miscommunicated. Mis- mis- I mean, I would definitely um, try, I would definitely uh, have curriculum readily available to and teach him and try to have, you know, a structured uh, structured environment to where he would, um, they would be most conducive to him learning. Um, and so you, you did mention a st- structure, and I think that's, could you elaborate a little bit more on, um, I guess, children and structure? I mean, it's, it's, I'm the primary care- caretaker. He sees me every day and, uh, you know, his mom comes home in the late evening and puts him to bed and on the weekends they spend more time together and I get a little bit, a little bit more time off and, uh, it's very regular. Um, but I guess how, how, how precise is, should structure be? I mean, should it be, um, you know, wake, they wake up and at nine o'clock they're studying and at 10 o'clock they, you know, that's, I feel like that's a little bit more, you know, if you have it down to the minute or by the hour or whatever, that's, sort of an extreme that would be unhealthy. But so what do you mean by structure? Well, it's not time-based. The the kind of structure that you're going to create for your children is the kind of life that they're going to most likely slide into. So if you're going to give them a very, and I know that this is a pejorative term, so I apologize for it up front, but if you're going to give them a very a regimented structure, then they're probably going to end up in a very regimented environment because that's kind of what they're used to. And so I don't have that uh, in particular, Um, you know, from this time we do this and this time we do this. There are certain responsibilities, you know, there are chores that have to get done and, you know, nobody particularly likes to do them, but we can make them as much fun as possible. So there are expectations around what needs to be done and um, uh, all all of those we we stick with and and we are, I wouldn't say overly strict about, but, you know, they – they have to get done and, um, you know, everybody needs to pull their weight. You know, a family is a whole bunch of moving parts. And if one person, well, if one person doesn't do their part, the other person, someone else has to pick up the slack. And, uh, you know, it's kind of unfair to not do your part and expect other people to, to, uh, do more than their share because you won't. So, and that's not a healthy thing. So I think just around expectations and, um, here's what needs to be done. And, and, and you, you have to negotiate and get agreement. But once you have agreement, it's ironclad unless you renegotiate, right? So that's, and that's another thing too, right? You want them to know that their word is their bond, your kids, right? So when you, uh, have a negotiation, it's like, okay, well, we're going to you know, make her bed every morning or whatever. It's like, okay, then you make your bed every morning because that's your word. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's your word. You, you, and, and because it's so ridiculously efficient to be trustworthy in life, if you're trustworthy, you just need much less paperwork than if you're not. <laughs> and so um, you, you want to teach them to be trustworthy. Of course, the first thing you do is you're trustworthy yourself. Right. So if your kid doesn't keep the word and you can say, OK, well, how would you feel if I said we're going to go to this cool play center that just opened up? And then the last minute I say, eh, no, not really. You'd be disappointed and frustrated and upset because I promised something or said I was going to do something and then and then didn't do it. And so um, you first model the behavior, and, and it really is not around uh, a time thing. Now, being on time, I think, is a reasonable thing to say, right? I mean, how much do you like waiting and so on, right? So there'll work to be uh, on time uh, and uh, all of that. And um, so, so I guess it, it kind of sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of sounds like structure in, in this sense is more of a uh, predictable 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 life outcome like predictable life you know mom's always going to come home in the evening 
dad's always going to be there during the day. No, no, no. That's no, no, because those aren't commitments, right? Okay. Right. So mommy may not come home in the evening, right? She may have something to do or someplace to go or whatever. So it's not that. It's just because that that's uh, repetition. And, and children, I think, are fine with changing schedules as long as there's um, trustworthiness in the communication. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, that I think is, is so to me, it's not like, well, mommy has to come every night. Otherwise, things are random for the kid. Well, uh, I, as long as the child knows um, what's happening ahead of time and that those uh, those uh, commitments are being kept. I guess I, I meant more of a predictable family structure that a mom, there's always going to be a mom and a dad, like, you know, a, a happy, a, you know, a, uh, a two parent household is what I was sort of getting at. I mean, um, so. Yes, well, of course. I mean, and and that is a that is a value transmission, right? I mean, nobody can replace my wife because she's for me at least the best woman in the whole universe. And so, uh, seeing the parents who love each other is very very key. And and there is security in that, right? And uh, you know, so knowing how much um, you all love each other and, and care for each other and, and respect each other and enjoy each other's company, that you know, it needs to be communicated in form and in content. Though much more informed than content. Kids don't really care about the I love yous that much, I think, but they really do care about the uh, having, like, enjoying their company stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, I, I, it's, I guess I'm still, uh, so if I can sort of define what you mean by, by structure, make sure I, I kind of understand it, is uh, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a set schedule or anything. It's, it's a um, uh, sort of a, a structure of values and uh, morals that the family adheres to, uh, for instance, you know, make it sticking to your word and being on time and, um, you know, uh, how that applies to school, I guess, would be um, learning, say, mathematics or English or, you know, uh, grammar or whatever uh, would be um if I, it would be toward uh, helping helping them grow as a human being, and uh, I, I guess I'm oh, helping them grow as a human being. Kids aren't going to be motivated by that. <laughs> no, I mean they're not. How would you like to grow as a human being, or would you like some candy? I yeah. think I'll take the candy, right? No, I mean so as far as grammar goes, um, <laughs> well, okay, uh, I'll sort of share to you, share with you, sort of the way that that I approach it, and and grammar, you know, it's kind of boring. It sucks a little, you know. I guess some people love it or whatever, mm. but. Um, I will, um, I, th- I think I once showed my daughter a YouTube comment, which was, you know, the, y- you're an idiot and idiot was spelt wrong. And there was no, uh, there was no contraction on the your, like, so <laughs> it was your, and I said, okay, so what's wrong with this? Right. And, oh, the word idiot is spelt wrong. There was no contraction or whatever. And I'm like, so if the guy wants to call me an idiot, assuming it's a guy, if he wants to call me an idiot and he spells the word idiot wrong, how does that look? And she's like, not good. <laughs> <laughs> not good. And I said, now, if somebody gives me a very sort of well-reasoned um, argument, uh, then, you know, that's great. But am I going to take anything this person, like this go, person could go on for another page, am I going to take anything they say seriously? And she's like, well, I wouldn't. And I said, and that's why you do grammar. <laughs> right? And that's why. It's so you can win. You know, because, so, you know, kids are interested, you know, life growth, who cares about that? But winning now, that's uh, something that they can get behind. So, yeah, you um, you you have 
grammar so so you can win <laughs> i mean because you know life is a lot of uh, a combat you know in terms of of getting uh, getting things done so uh, it's important not to knock yourself out in the first round yeah um so i guess you know i'm trying to be uh i guess cognizant of your time um and so i kind of wanted to move towards a, a couple of things that i wanted to get your thoughts on um so boys in school today obviously are, are pretty short they get the short end of the stick to say the least uh so how about so we were looking at a private school um a private preschool just i was you know just shopping around just checking out the options and um we did a a parent child program there which was actually really beneficial met some other stay-at-home parents and sort of learned learned about um communicating with children and expectations and all that and so it was it was pretty beneficial and when they sort of got to a spiel about um on one week that we went they got to a spiel about what that that school is all about and one of the core values that they uh said that they they try to instill in children is, is social justice and so mm-hmm. i <laughs> from that point on i was i was, and Wait, it's, it's sort of they, they want to instill the dominance of feelings over facts. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> and it, it's it is sort of a granola, crunchy, hippie to be school. So it's not that surprising that they said that. But yeah, from that point on, I was I yeah. knew that wasn't no. a place that I wanted to send my child. Um, but and I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like, I mean, that's. Well, no, I mean, do you see that? Look, I I I, or, I have yeah. gone to a couple of uh, private schools, and I mean. Not not even with regards like even before I had a daughter just sort of check him out and so on, and uh, <laughs> I do remember um, that there was one school that we went to many years ago, uh, and um, the school was being repaired. They were renovating it or whatever, right? And uh, 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 all of the women had like high heels on and nice dresses and all this, that, and the other, and they were sort of showing us around the school, and and they were like, "Oh, we're really into gender equality and so on and all that," right? And then I couldn't help but notice that that all of the people who were repairing the school were men, right? And I said, well, if you're into gender equality, why are you guys all in nice clothes and high heels and the men are all in like work boots and covered in dust? Like it's all men and you're all women. I don't like, where's the gender equality in that? Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I just like, it's fun for me. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully it helps people think a, a little bit. But um, no, I wouldn't, you know. Yeah, I guess, do you see that getting... Like if, if sorry, if, if people have this abstraction of gender equality and they don't notice that the women all have these comfortable office jobs where they can wear high heels and the guys are all sucking in white death into their lungs while <laughs> pounding away at, at drywall, it's right in front of you. Don't, like, ugh, I, need, I need people who are empirical. I don't want people lost in these platonic abstractions. There's no context. Well, I mean, don't, don't you know, Steph, that the, the AC, the air conditioner is also sexist. So even though they're dressed, they're, they're comfortable in their offices, they're also being subjected to the sexism of air conditioner. I'm sure there's some mansplaining <laughs> that's offensive to someone somewhere. Uh, so do you see social justice kind of getting – it's – I mean, I hope that I'm not in too much of an echo chamber when I'm on the internet, but it seems like people are really fighting back against social justice. Um, yeah, they've, they've stopped being nice. You know, if you're in a boxing ring and somebody starts hitting below the belt and the judge doesn't do anything, well, you start hitting below the belt. Yeah. Right. So there, there was always this, oh, we're going to take the high road. We're not going to take the tactics of the left and reason and evidence and calm. And, no, no. They try to get you fired. You try to get them fired. Yeah. They abuse you verbally on the internet. You abuse them back verbally on the internet. You, they punch low. You punch low. 
Yeah. Um, so, and again, I'm talking all nonviolent and, and, and you know, <laughs> metaphorical, just so everyone understands this. I want people out there with baseball bats. But no, I mean, what's happened is, the, and this is the Trump revolution, right? And it, it, it's not just Trump, it's the alt-right and other people as well, where they're just like, no, being, being nice is not working. And I predicted this. Uh, years ago, I said that uh, white people, and it's largely a white phenomenon, but uh, not Trump in particular, but the alt-right, uh, white people are nice until they're not. And then they're really good at not being nice. And uh, white people have just been pushed <laughs> to the point where it's like, fuck that, I'm not, uh, I, you know, this this being nice thing, this uh, appeasement thing, it's just getting me taken advantage of, and it's going to cost me my entire civilization. So guess what? Uh, you punch low, we punch low. This high road stuff, it's done. Yeah, I, and so I, I see that a lot happening. I see that happening a lot on the internet, and I'm glad that it's not uh, just my own uh, <clears throat> my own take on things. But uh, I I'm afraid that it, it's it's just getting worse in schools, and I don't I don't know if there's an end in sight for that. Um, you know, public or private. Oh yeah, no, there's an end in sight. Don't worry, the government uh, governments are going to run out of money, <laughs> and uh, it's all. It, I mean, you can see this. We did the presentation a couple of months ago in Venezuela. Venezuela's currency lost like 15% in a day or two. Jeez. I mean, they're in the terminal stages of hyperinflation and society will readjust. I mean, this is what happens. Society goes to these insane limits and then it bounces back. Uh, otherwise, there'd be no human beings left, right? I mean, we have, as I talked about, uh, or rather, as Lord Moncton talked about in the conversation we had about global warming, um, you know, every long-lasting system must have something that dampens the amplification of perturbations, right? So if there's, you know, something like, you know, you hold a mic out to a uh, a, um, a hot mic out to a uh, speaker and you get this feedback whine and it escalates, right? Well, that's just not how society works. We have this uh, snap back, right? You, you pull this rubber band, doing it snaps back. And we're just, you know, we're close to the snap back phase at the moment, which is why I'm working so hard to sort of lay the foundations of what's coming next. Uh, government's going to run out of money. There's going to be lots of complaining, lots of foot stomping, uh, you know, lots of little feet pattering up and down and lots of holding breath and tantrums and 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 downright violence from the left. But none of that is going to make more money where there's no money. And uh, so it's going to readjust and men are going to become more valuable again. And uh, it's all going to readjust uh, as the money runs out. I'm not saying it's going to be pretty, but it's prettier than the alternative, right? I mean, if you run out of heroin, you go through withdrawal, which isn't pretty, but it's better than death, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's that's interesting. I, I um, hadn't really thought about. I I just whenever I think about the the future of the current system, uh, it just seems like there's. I know there's got to be an end in sight. I just never make the assumption that it's anytime soon. Um, but I guess soon. that <laughs> that's that seems. Uh, you're right. It, it probably is sooner than I think. Yeah. Um, so a, a couple other things, uh, if you, so in my, my experience with school was, you know, like I said, not great, but also not, not necessarily bad. I don't know that I was ever, um, really taught how to learn, you know, it was really, uh, you know, these are the things that you need to do to pass the test. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like I'm at somewhat of a disadvantage. I'm uh, over the past couple of years, um, really since I found out I was going to be a father, I've been, uh, I think, really doubling down, trying to relearn how to learn. Um, and I wondered if you had wondered if you had any tips on sort of how to. I guess a simple, I guess a simple question is how 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 does one learn? How what's the what's? And it might be different from everybody else. You know, some are visual, some are uh, you know tactile, but 
you know, learning to relearn and instilling that in the next generation. How do you learn? I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's, uh, learn how to, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rage based occupation. <laughs> you, you've got to really, really hate falsehood. It, it has to be your enemy, something that you're willing to, uh, you know, strip the tattoos off your own nipples, uh, in order to wrap it around its neck and strangle it to death. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you just have to hate uh, error and hate falsehoods and hate sophistry and hate lies. Okay. And, uh, you know, for me, and, you know, m maybe it should be more elevated. And, and, you know, I do love the truth and all of that. But uh, you have to crawl over so many lies to get to the truth that uh, you have to enjoy stepping on the face of lies in order to climb to any golden or glorious truth. There's so much in the way. And you have to hate the lies. You have to hate the liars. Yeah. And you have to clear away all of that crap in order to be anywhere you build, you have to clear away the undergrowth. You have to clear away the junk and the garbage and the toxic sludge and you, you have to hose it all down and so for me you know learning that the pursuit of truth is is driven by a hatred of the destruction of lies of, of falsehoods right yeah i mean like oh you know genetics have nothing to do with culture and the races are all equal and there's no differences in iq it's like those are hateful lies because they're actually destroying Western civilization. They're actually destroying. And I like Western civilization. I consider it the greatest achievement uh, in, in humanity. And, and it will forever be the greatest achievement in humanity because whatever comes afterwards has had this as an example. And I hate the fact that it's being destroyed. And I hate the people who are destroying it. And so for me to, to want to learn doesn't mean I can't have fun doing it. You can have, you, there is great and deep joy in the execution of hatred. Uh, and um, you have to, you know, I, I want a cancer researcher who hates cancer. Yeah. Like who just, you know, maybe it, it, it took everyone dear and near and dear to him. I want him to wake up every morning with a burning, vicious, satanic hatred towards cancer, you know, sort of spiraling through his loins. And that is the person who's going to get, get the most uh, done when it comes to conquering that. So uh, for me this is maybe more of a male perspective or or maybe it's just a me perspective i don't know mm. but uh, i get this from some of the great philosophers who who hated errors and and loathed uh, sophists and loathed loathed the liars who make the worst argument appear the better and loathed the hypocrites and so for me uh, there is a great discharge of venom because i was stuffed full of venom and of lies like a big poison sack. I was stuffed full of venom and lies and it's taking quite a bit and quite a number of years and probably will take decades of discharging all of the venom that was force-fed to me when I was growing up and I need to cough it up into someone and so I might as well find the falsest ideas and people around and cough it up on them because it's got to go somewhere and they're going to boomerang, boomerang it back to the people who gave it to me or those who supported them because it's theirs and it doesn't belong to me. That's uh, an interesting, that's really interesting. I, I... I can't say that I disagree. That's uh, I, it's not not really what I what I expected, but that's um... no. Don't look. If if you put your son in a government school, and he was bored and scared and alienated and bullied and abused, and then they wanted to drug him, wouldn't you hate him? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> the joy of hatred is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I guess I just and need, I need uh, it should not be underestimated. And of course, we we try to have this world so nice. Oh, I just pursue knowledge for the sake of the glory. No, no, no. It's self defense against the lying assholes who are trying to take down everything that makes getting out of bed in the morning for decent people worthwhile. 
Yeah. Like self-defense. If someone rushes at me with a, a, a knife, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to be all Zen and no, I'm going to get angry. I want that fight or flight. And when people are rushing at me, looking to undo all that my ancestors and I have worked to build, yeah, I'm pissed. I am pissed and I am fighting back. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you know, in a sense, that's sort of the YouTube comment thing that I was talking about. Yeah. You want to have credibility. There's going to be fights. And listen, children are fine with fights. <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen kids? It's half of the half of what they do, right? Especially siblings, right? So, so yeah, they're okay with combat. What do kids do? They practice combat. Saying to kids, you can grow up in a world without fights is like saying to baby lions, they can grow up in a world without hunting. No, they can't. And um, so, yeah, for me, um, I uh, I despise and hate uh, the liars. And the lies and uh, and the destruction of the lies and the destructiveness of the lies, the manipulation, the bullshit. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. And uh, taking a big chewy hunk off the neck of falsehood is uh, how I get my sustenance every day. And it is a joyful, joyful uh, occupation. Uh, that's uh, that's great. Um, I guess one one last thing that I, I really want to try to get your not take. physical fights, not physical fights, not. not physical fights. Of just so you know, no, I I wouldn't. Yeah, I I'm a yeah. Of course not. Uh, one one last thing that I really wanted to get your take on. Um, I'm sorry, unless it's real quick, I got to move on. We've had two callers in two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Too little. So uh, I I yeah. If it's quick, fine. But uh, otherwise, I'll have to beg you to forgive me and come back. Sure. Yeah. I it was. Just, I wanted to get your take on um, teaching entrepreneurship, but that may actually take a little bit longer. So um, maybe I could just do another. Yeah, I might be on. talking about that with Vox Day tomorrow. So. Um, uh, perhaps that will will help, and if there's stuff that's missing, feel free to call back in. Okay, great. That sounds wonderful, and I, I appreciate your time and everything that you do, Stefan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it too. Thank you. Bye bye. Up next is Amanda. Now, Amanda wrote me an email today, actually, regarding the Ohio State University attack, the car and knife attack by the Somali refugee, which left knife or machete. I've heard knife, I've heard machete. Uh, Butcher's knife, I think, is the term that they're going with. Well, it a, left a 11 than a machete, for the record. All right, I, I, I'm checking Drudge, because earlier I saw that Drudge was calling it a machete attack. I was, all right. We were all calling it machete. Unfortunately, I think it was a butcher's knife. What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, now there's just a soul. There's now there's just a soul stripping picture of George Soros, and that's not going to do me any good at the moment. Unless it was George Soros who did the machete attack, which would actually be, I think, a step up. But oh uh, my goodness! All right, all right, okay. Um, yes, Amanda goes to Ohio State University and wrote in concerning the attack, and she has some very strong thoughts about it. So, welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited all to be right. here. I love both you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you. And um, what uh, what happened? Were you on campus today? I actually was. I was on campus for my 8 a.m. calc class. And um, following that class, I had a class at 9 a.m., which I decided to not go to today for the first time in uh, actually ever. I've never missed that class. Um, but I'm recovering from a sinus infection. So I was like, you know what? I don't feel that good. I'm not going to class. So I was fortunate enough to be off campus, um, but one of my friends that was in my class that I um, skipped 
texted me and he's like, oh my goodness, uh, this Buckeye alert just popped up on Dr. Barker's screen on the projector. Like, we don't know what's going on. There were, um, you know, accusations that there was an active shooter, which obviously turned out to be false. It was the police officer um, shooting, which is where people heard the gunshots. Um, so I luckily was not, actually, it's funny. I was watching the truth on Fidel Castro when, <laughs> yeah. um, when I uh, heard about the attacks at OSU. So it was kind of funny. Um, but it was just so crazy, so surreal. I couldn't believe it. I put on Fox News and it was all over Fox News. And I just, very surreal. And I just can't believe that we are concerned with uh, the hate crime that these small refugees are facing on campus instead of, oh, I don't know, radical Islamic terrorism. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there's been quite a settlement program, right, in, in, the, uh, in the U.S., uh, as far yeah. as these are 43,000 Somali refugees resettled in the U.S. just under Obama, right? Absolutely. It's it's absolutely out of control. And I partially blame our governor, John Kasich, for um, this issue because, you know, he was on Sean Hannity just a little over a year ago saying, you know, he wouldn't say to these people, you can't come in, you know, re this refugee problem is a European problem. Um, Breitbart actually put up a... Um, it was from September 2015 on Breitbart. So the transcript, the video of Sean Hannity. And I'm just like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And, you know, say that the refugee problem is a European problem. Why is it a European problem? Why isn't it a U.S. problem? You know, so it's just it's very naive, I think, of our governor. And, you know, we're kind of naive. Yeah, oh, you're such, a, you're such a nice young lady, Amanda. <laughs> you're, such, you're such a benefit of the doubt. Nice. Young well, lady. you know, I, I hope to be in media one day, so I just don't I don't want to screw anything up, you know, <laughs> early on in my career. <laughs> right. Right. So it's Yeah, is 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 uh is is Kasich and his his family, are they in any danger, do you think? Or do you think they have a lot of security and gated communities and bulletproof cars and so on? Yes, I think they absolutely have all of that. I think they're gonna yeah, be so fine. They're not any in any particular danger. I mean, I remember with the it was over a year ago when Merkel was talking about the the million Muslims coming in uh, to to Germany, and it's like, okay, well, if if people, you know, if they're concerned, right? If she if she wants to ease people's mm. concerns, it's pretty easy. All she has to do is, you know, go and you know get a haircut, go in disguise, and then just go live in one of these ghettos it's so for true. a week or two, you know, just have a webcam on her all the time and yep. just show how wonderful and how peaceful and how accepting and how excellent it's going to be uh, as, with her as a, as a white woman uh, in these ghettos. Uh, and um, that way she can live stream everything that happens for a week or two and, and everyone can be relieved at how wonderful and positive the experience that she's going to have is. Absolutely. And I mean, these refugees, anyone, a minority for that example, um, I feel like going to university would be great if I was going to commit jihad because they're, I mean, they're, in, they're practically invincible from persecution or else, you know, we're going to be called, I'm a white female, you know, from a professional household. Um, so I don't really, you know, whatever white privilege is that what I suffer from? I don't know, whatever they call it. Um, so these people, they take advantage of the fact that, you know, people aren't going to say it as it is. And, um, and that's why we have things like this happen at OSU. And actually, actually, interesting enough, um, this guy, what, what's his name? Abdul something. Um, uh, Abdul he, Razak Ali Artan. There we go. <laughs> um, he 
was interviewed by the Lancer, our school newspaper, in August, right when school started. And he was a transfer from Columbus State Community College. He was there for two years, and he transferred to Ohio State. And he was interviewed, and there's an interview of him saying, you know, that he felt very uncomfortable being at Ohio State because, you know, he's a Muslim. He has to pray five times a day. And at Columbus, Columbus State has a very large uh, Somali population. I mean, community college is much smaller. Um, and Columbus in general has the second largest Somali population in the United States with about 45,000 Somalis um, in Columbus. And um, so he, and so at Columbus State, they actually have little prayer rooms for uh, Muslims. And I just, and so he was saying transferring to Ohio State, he felt very uncomfortable. He felt like people were going to look at him, think he's weird. And it's just ironic, really, that this is what it's come to. Well, now they will look at him and won't think he's weird or was weird. And and this is the funny thing. Like, can you imagine um, if, uh, you know, you, you and I were rescued from some war zone and, mm. and were taken in, in Japan or whatever it is. Do you think then we would start demanding that the Japanese accommodate to our particular preferences and likes and dislikes? Absolutely not. And they wouldn't as they shouldn't, you know, like, and yeah. also we'd be another, like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How can we make it easier for you as our hosts, as opposed to, sure. Hey, Hey, where is my X? Where's my Y? Where's my Nutella? Where's my, like, <laughs> well, I mean, if we're going to Japan, we want to go there for the culture, right. And for the Japanese experience. So we're going to assimilate to that culture and not bring in our own culture. Cause we're leaving those, you know, ideas behind. So that's the whole that's the whole point. When you're coming to America, you come and you need to assimilate and they're not assimilating. And that is the problem. And that is why we're anti-illegal immigration as Americans and as college students. And I'm very much in the minority. Um, I'm actually a part of uh, the chapter at Ohio State called Students for Trump. And we did a lot of campaigning for Trump. Um, and everyone, we are just, there's about 300 people in the group, but I mean, that's, you know, there's 60,000 students at Ohio State. So it's very, very small. Um, but we absolutely just get shut down every single time we want to talk about the refugees or every time we want to talk about, uh, oh, I don't know, OSU becoming a sanctuary campus, which apparently the, the Latino Association wrote a letter to President Drake concerning, you know, expressing why Ohio State needs to become a sanctuary campus. And <clears throat> I actually am writing a letter in opposition to that and explaining why Ohio State should not become a sanctuary campus. And I don't I don't know if this um incident today could be just a better example of why we need to not, you know, harbor refugees or illegal refugees for that matter. Oh, no, no, listen, no, you you know what's going to happen is is people are going to say, well, the solution is more prayer rooms. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think, I don't think this particular belief set is, is over yet. Mm -mm. Nope. It is, uh, it is tragic. And uh, it is um, it is uh, where where people's minds are at. Do you know? Uh, yeah. Do you have a lot of girlfriends who um, are, are more sympathetic to, or sort of more pro migrant, or more sympathetic to this issue? To be quite honest with you, I have very few girlfriends for that reason. Um, <laughs> but I did. <clears throat> there are probably a handful, but like I said, like I don't know a lot of women that are my age, at least, that are millennials. Um, that are pro-migrant per se. Um, just old, my old roommate, actually, she was a women's gender and sexuality major. And um, I mean, need I say more? But uh, yeah. <laughs> she was... But there uh, are a lot of, I would assume, a lot of women on the campus who would be 
more sympathetic to yeah, uh, the, the migrant resettlements and all that, right? I mean, on, on paper, it looks great, right? Like, oh, yeah, we're rescuing them. Um, we'll, we'll be a safe haven for them. Absolutely. Like, but they're not coming for the American ideals and the American culture. You know, they're coming to bring their culture and their ideas, and they're going to force that on us, even if that means running a car into students and slicing them with a knife. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And like I said, the fact that there are some students on campus right now saying that they're worried about the hate crimes against Somali refugees instead of talking about radical Islamic terrorism, it's absolutely beyond me. And the mental gymnastics that you have to go through in order to do so is just exhausting. Well, it's it's uh, it's a, a, a axiomatic set of virtue signaling, right? I mean, this is just considered sure. to be the correct and right standard, and and therefore it must be promulgated uh, at, at all costs. And absolutely, you know, I I try not to get mad at women about this. I, I do, mm-hmm. but tonight I fail. Mm-hmm. Do you mind? I give you a tiny rant here. Absolutely. All right. One of the most dangerous weapons in the First World War was a white feather. Do you know why? Why? So women in in England would walk Mm -hmm. up and down the street, and if they saw a young military-aged man not in uniform, they would hand him a white feather. And that was a symbol of cowardice. And Mm -hmm. that propelled a lot of men to go and enlist, to go to war. Why would a white feather be so compelling to these young men? They knew what was going on at the front. This was not a mystery. This wasn't in the first few weeks of the war. They knew the carnage that was going on in the front. Why would they do it? You can hand me a white feather. I think I'll live, (laughs) right? Yeah, seriously. But but this was very powerful and very effective. Mm. Why? Why was one of the greatest weapons in the First World War a white feather? Why would men choose mustard gas over being handed a white feather? Yeah. Men need permission from women to reproduce, right? Right. I, I, at least to successfully reproduce because sure. babies take a lot of investment. And if the wife's, if, you're, if your victim's not into it, it's not going to do well, right? Sure. So men need women's permission. To reproduce. Now, if you are a young man and women won't reproduce with you, how long do you think those genes lasted? Not very long. Not very Not long. at all, and this is actually. Not at all, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no functional difference genetically between women sexually ostracizing men and women driving over men in a car. <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. they, 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 castrating them with a hacksaw—it's—it's it's the same deal, right? Machete. No eggs, yeah. No eggs means you're done, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. sexual ostracism from the part of women is the worst thing that can happen to a man because it means the end of his genetics, right? And so all the right. genes that said, "I don't care if there's sexual ostracism from women," all those genes. Long gone, Ten, hundreds of thousands of years ago, toast. They probably didn't even make it past monkey butt, right? Sure. So men will conform to whatever women find morally compelling enough to ostracize. Mm. They'll just conform to it. 
And this is the way men are wired. This is the way men are programmed. Men who didn't please women didn't have any children. And those genes are so far in history, it's like the second protozoa gave up on that strategy, right? Sure. So here's the thing. People say, well, where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the men? The men are doing what men always do. Trying to get some eggs, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, exactly. Trying to get some eggs. It's a little, little mm-hmm. bit tougher than, <laughs> a little bit tougher than going to Denny's, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> so here's what's going on: is that women are sexually ostracizing men who aren't conforming with political correctness. And men have no defense against that whatsoever. Men can't do a damn thing. Now, men can sort of try and convert and all that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, men are helpless in the face of linked together cock blocking on the part of women hoarding their eggs, right? Right. Can't do, we, we, we can't possibly, men can't win that. We're completely programmed. If women are going to ostracize us, if women aren't going to date us, we change our behavior. Why? Because mm. we're animals. Right. We're mammals. And, and, there's no reproductive strategy that could ever successfully be implemented in the absence of volunteer eggs, right? Sure. And so what's happened is women, a lot of young women in the West, have been programmed to provide negative signals of sexual acceptance to men who don't conform to political correctness. In other words, the left is cock-blocking the right. Uh, Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. This is sort of a core, like, you're young and female-enabled, so <laughs> does this sort of, uh, does this accord with what you're seeing around? Yes, absolutely. I mean, so, like I said, I'm a very avid watcher of your videos, um, and so it's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of female R's out there, I'm just going to say that, and um, being a K, I am looking for a K male to reproduce my, and have alpha, ch- alpha children, you know, carry on the bloodline. Um and yeah, absolutely. There's so many women, because like you said, it's about feeling, it's how we feel. You know, if a guy wants some, wants to reproduce, wants to, you know, uh, have some strapping young men or women, uh, I mean, they're going to, I completely understand that. They're going to conform to their ideals and what they believe. Um, it's almost a sin to be a conservative on, you know, university campus. It's absolutely, it's just. Or just speak facts. Yeah, or just, yeah, or just speak facts. And that's what I'm, that's the thing too. And I got to say that when this happened, I just had this gut feeling that I was like, man, this does not feel right. I have, I just thought it was a Somali refugee and it was, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. But you know, the second that I start telling people that they're like, oh my gosh, you're so anti-immigration, anti-Somali, anti-everything. I'm like, no. No, no, no. I'm not actually. I know, you know, when it came out that he was, and and now they're like, oh, well, we're not going to assume, you know, terrorism. And it's like, why not? Here are the facts. He's from Pakistan. He came here in uh, 2014. You just have to look at how the philosophy how how did the ideal system spread historically? It's not that complicated. It's really it's not, not. And this is not to say, of course, this is not to say every adherent of that ideology is the same. I, I understand all of that, but historically. Right. Uh, it did not spread quite as peacefully as, say, objectivism or something mm-hmm. like that. So, Absolutely. Uh, this is uh, so. Until women are willing to put out for reason and evidence, you're not going to get a lot of reason and evidence. Like, I'm sorry, sisters, it's just <laughs> the way that evolution works. 
yeah. until you're willing to put out for facts you're not going to live with many facts around. If you want to put out for delusions, then you're going to get a whole bunch of delusions. If you put out for cucks, you're going to get a whole bunch of cucks. If you put out for R's, you're going to get a whole bunch of R's. If you put out for everyone who agrees with you, then you're going to get an echo chamber. Right. And, uh, you know, and if you put out enough, I guess your vagina literally becomes an echo chamber. Echo! 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 (laughs) Did I lose my keys in here? (laughs) Anyway, um, so... No, it is uh, It is the way that biology works. It's the way that these things work, is that uh, women have, and it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely genius. How do you bring down a civilization? Well, you program the women to sexually reject reality. Facts. You know, go up, go up to some woman, uh, you know, on, on campus who's on the left, which is basically to say a woman Majority. on campus except you sure. and three others, right? <laughs> and uh, you go go up and, and say, um, you know, and she's all about the wage gap. And you're like, actually, the wage gap is nonsense. And here's why. And here's why. And here's why. Want to get a coffee? No. Yeah, no, exactly. It doesn't work out too well, right? So... Right. So, yeah, men will hide facts. Yeah. Men will hide facts if it gets them access to eggs. Of course. Because right. the whole purpose of a man is to reproduce, not to be factual. And if facts so... get in the way of reproducing, bye-bye, facts. You are right. jettisoned. You know they're yep. they're like the uh, they're like the the unfunny friend with the giant nose pimple who who like makes terrible jokes and drives the women <laughs> away. It's like sorry, you can't be my wingman anymore because you are getting between me and the eggs, and nothing sure. but nothing can get between me and the eggs. And mm-hmm. so yeah, if if being conservative gets between uh, you and the eggs, bye bye conservatism because your goal is to reproduce, not to be right. Can I quote you on that? was great. <laughs> you know, I yes. What am I going to do? Hide that I said it? It's right no. going to be out there on the internet. Yeah. No, it's great. But, but no, I, I certainly awesome. hope to be taken out of context again. That would be excellent. I think oh, that may happen goodness. one day. Of course. So, it happened to all of us. Uh, yeah, so, so this, this is the reality that, uh, you know, so we get, oh, you get, you get bring more reason. And like, what's going to happen is the schools are going to run out of money or they're going to run out of funding. They're going to have to stop being productive. They're going to drop the idiots. They're going to drop the propaganda. They're going to drop the, the junk, right? And and they're going to yeah. actually have to prepare people for the real world of the free market. And that means that suddenly facts and reality and negotiation and reason and evidence, they are going to be the uh, coin of the realm within academia again. Uh, it has to shrink a lot. It has to focus a lot. Now, once that happens... Well, yeah, then women will start putting out for facts because facts then become more profitable for them emotionally uh, than uh, delusion. But until women put out for facts, there's no point trying to promote facts within society because they can't get past the hell no uh, egg barrier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous, especially uh, probably a majority of colleges. But I know Ohio State where you have to take general edu- education courses um, and one of them entails like a culture and ideas class and Man, I'm trying not to take a woman's gender and sexuality class, but it's like they force you. You know, like you can't get out of it. Like I'm an economics major, but you got to take a woman's gender and sexuality class. Sorry about it. You need to be cultured, you know. And everyone's so, in the back like, worst porn ever. I know, seriously. <laughs> Can we that? get less blue hair? Yes. No, it's so true. It's so true. It's- what did you, I don't know if you listened to the show a couple of weeks ago. I had with a guy who... He was dating this girl, uh, dating this woman, and then she found out or he told her that he was a Trump supporter. I did not hear this one, actually. Well, I won't, uh, you know, go back and, and listen to it. Uh, but uh, maybe if Mike, if you can dig up the show number. But yeah, she she was in class and he texted her 
and you don't you don't trump and text you just you can't you know you got to prepare people for that and um uh, and uh, she she burst into tears sobbed hysterically had to run out of the class and oh you know didn't know God. if she could date him because because he was a pro trump and she didn't know if she could have sex with him anymore or date him or have anything to do with him and it's just like yeah well Great, that you know, that's how you that's how you separate the R's from the K's, you know, you say, uh, you just easy. say, I'm pro-Trump, yeah, you, you, you know, how would that work, you know, work out with you, Amanda? I'm pro-Trump, you're like, all right, tell me more, <laughs> right, and, yeah. and are there people who run away, good, good, you've, yes. you've got to get, uh, you got to step over the bunnies to get to the wolves, right? Absolutely, and there's actually, so I said I'm, I'm an economics major, and honestly, there are quite a few conservatives in a lot, in most of my classes, but one of uh, a classic that I met this year, we were talking a little bit, and politics didn't really come up, but I was kind of getting the vibe that he was conservative, and he said that he was in the National Guard, his dad was a police officer, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy has to be a conservative, like, come on, um, just given everything, the police, brutal- police brutality, quote unquote, and whatnot, um, and so I asked him, I'm like, oh, so I assume, like, you're probably voting for Trump, right? He's like, actually, no, I'm not. And he just got into this whole discussion about fields and, you know, like, how do we help all people that can't help themselves and the welfare state and, you know, the people that are earning the most money, they don't, you know, how, that's like, how much money do they need was, like, was a quote that he told me. So I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, why are we to tell someone, you know, these people that are making millions and millions of dollars, most of them that aren't on Wall Street are very, very smart people, even some people on Wall Street, very, very intelligent people. You know, they produce things for the market and people consume them and they add value to our market and to our society. It's good, right? It's good. It's a good thing that we have inequality in America, inequality of income. And they outcome. create jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's like, he's just stuck in this. He's like, well, how much money do these people need to make? And I'm like, that is so not for you to say at all. Yeah. What do you, like, what do you mean? How much money I mean, how, how pretty does that guy's girlfriend need to be? I don't, yeah, as pretty no, as he can get her, I guess. <laughs> Sure, exactly. And I mean, I just tried to have a debate with him based on facts. And it just, I mean, I remember when the Access Hollywood tape came out uh, of Trump and he's like, oh, he's done. I'm like, dude, you don't even freaking know. There's no way. I'm like, this is, this isn't great. But, you know, Trump has the facts on his side and he has um, ideas. And what does Hillary have? Stronger together? Like, what? I'm with her. Oh, what's the, what is that? The what people that on this, you know, the people on this campus, so this guy's running, the, uh, running at them with a, freaking machete and they're like well at least he's not saying the word pussy oh my gosh it's it's not funny but it is funny because it's so true i mean it's unbelievably true um and i'm just the show is uh, 3507 3507 is america headed for a race war you can get it at fdrpodcast.com it's november the 18th but yeah you should have a listen but sorry go ahead yeah absolutely definitely well um but i mean yeah i'm just i know a lot of people that are should have sentiment you know a being very, very pro-Trump, are very relieved that he is our president-elect because I can't even freaking imagine what this would be like under a Clinton, another Clinton administration, not to mention the fact that she wanted to, you know, increase the amount of Syrian refugee, or refugees by 550%. Was that the crazy-ass mm-hmm. number? Um, yep. So, I mean, it's just, I feel, I feel a sense of relief. I feel, you know, I don't feel afraid. I'm not a scared person, but I'm, I'll be vigilant. But it's just like, Oh no, there's there's sometimes good reasons to be scared. I mean, and and it's not our to be scared. It's our to not have any sense of self protection. Can I give you a little chance in case you run into this uh, guy again? Please. You know the it's left. Actually, the left. I, the I left love their chance. Are you ready? No. Yes. Two, four, six, eight. Masturbate. Don't procreate. Go, Bernie Bros. Oh. There we go. You can uh, use that. 
That's amazing. No, he, um, it's funny too, because so after we started having some conversations, it clearly was not going anywhere. And he would text me during the debates saying like, Oh, like Hillary totally has this. She won all the debates. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. I, I remember texting him back. All I said back was you're so like far gone. You need to be red pilled. You have no idea what the heck is going on. Um, and I didn't really talk to him since the, since the final debate. Say, and, say um, hi to your single mom for me. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, honestly. But um, he, so actually I took a took a book out of your strategy and I ostracized him from the classroom and I don't sit by him anymore. And I'm like, that just has to feel really awful that someone mm. just completely cannot be around you because I just, I simply cannot. You know, he would make comments, our, our economics uh, professor, our, the class is an econ history class and um, our professor is very, very free market, pro-capitalism, pro-Trump, too. And he would just make a comment. Well, snag comment to me every single time our professor said something. And I'm like, honestly, I can't talk to you. Like, I don't want to listen to you. I don't care what you have to say. Amanda, uh, since, since Amanda is, can I ask you for a tiny favor? Absolutely. Please get him to call in. Get him to call in. <laughs> please, please get him to call in. He doesn't know what he's missing. The poor guy. You know, you, the, the, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. You don't have to have any sympathy. I've got no eggs. So I don't. it doesn't matter if I have sympathy for him. I'm not going to make a terrible mistake. So, um, yeah, just, you know, just, you know, say he's welcome to call in. It would be excellent. It would be so yeah. good for him. Well, and, and to make things even better, he was a he's a burn burn victim. So he supported the old Bernie. Oh, and burn I'm victim. Like, okay, I don't know whether yeah, that, okay, sorry. I get it. Okay, that must be like an American, yeah, he, like, he, he was in a horrible fire. No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> like burn, like I think it's all yeah, over Reddit course. and like 4chan, so I call them burn victims, Bernie bots, yeah. et cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm like, wait, the, the, and those people confuse me the most. I know a couple of people that uh, supported Bernie and now support Trump, which I can kind of see that. I, guess I mean, the, the, the Simpsons want these guys. The whole villain is Mr. Burns. Come on, people. They weren't even being subtle. <laughs> Anyway, go on. Seriously. Um, but I'm like, man, how can you seriously support, like, someone that absolutely stole the election from your candidate? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I still haven't had an answer. So I don't know. Um, but he, yeah, he is just. Uh... You know, their, whole, their whole deal, Amanda, is please, please, God, do not point me at the free market. That, mm -hmm. That's all I beg of you. Do not, do not let me find out how much I'm actually worth in the free market. Uh, and that's why they stay in these, uh, you know, enclaves of of socialism because they don't want to find out. Mm -mm. Um, uh, they don't want to find out. They don't want to be put to the test. Absolutely, because they would fail. <laughs> they would fail, right? and and that's fine. And and the the fact that they would fail is fine. We all fail all the time, right? But sure. uh, well, I do. But um, <laughs> the, the, it, it, it's that they wouldn't know what to do with that failure. They wouldn't. They don't have the ego strength to process the failure. And this is the fragility that they've been raised with that has them dependent on state power rather than able to negotiate in the marketplace. The fact that they would fail, pff, who cares? You know, how many videos have I done as big as the story of your enslavement? Why that would be none other than the story of your enslavement. You know, so you could sure. say, oh well, all the videos are failures, but you know, the show continues to grow and all of that, and it's a step by step thing. And bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. So, uh, no, they, they could, they just, they can't handle the failure because they don't have any ego strength to deal with that. They don't know who they are if they're tested and found wanting in that particular moment. They don't have the, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not when you lose; it's when you quit that sure. that you fail. And they don't Absolutely. know how to keep uh, keep from quitting. Nope, they don't. 
keep them away from me though. I don't want any. <laughs> Do not. The, the eggs are precious. I don't want any of that R. So just keep it. That's fine. Stay in academia, whatever you want to do. Um, but it's just, oh, I just. That's what I like about Scotland. You know, in Scotland, they roll their R's. <laughs> Sorry, oh I just my gosh. <laughs> Man. Oh, but, okay. You, you are tempting me down a dark path of bad humor. I just wanted to, it's not your fault. I don't know what no, it is. I'm a little, no, little it's tired. I laugh at you and Mike all the time, like driving to school. I'm telling you guys, it's like podcast and I'm just like cracking up and I'm like, you guys are truly, truly funny. You're not, it's not bad humor. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. So, is there anything else you wanted to add? I'm, I'm incredibly sorry. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty, pretty tough to go in to school, right? Uh, tomorrow yeah. because you know everyone's going to be you know holding hands and chanting kumbaya and and you know the the only tragedy is going to be uh, that there may be some negative sentiment towards somalis and there's not going to be any reality so it's going to be surreal if that's if that makes any yeah. sense absolutely it will be um i'm just i just cannot wait until we have a trump presidency and we will hopefully be united again as a country and realize that you know we got to start working together and we have to start realizing facts and not caring about our feelings because facts don't care about your feelings to quote Ben Shapiro. Um, right. Just it is what it is. And I really, really hope that, um, like I said, I have a really good feeling about this presidency and um, just excited to see where it goes in all facets of America, especially in academia, failing so miserably um, to educate their students how have sorry let me just uh, before we go um because i i get i know when the date's over but um uh, how how have the leftists been since the trump thing i mean is there anybody who's like wow i guess we missed something or there's a or is it all just like wow i didn't realize what a racist society i mean how are they yep processing this from what you've heard yep they pretty much just call us racist and um you know they can't believe that he won and whatnot and it's like well you don't know that he, you can't believe he won because you only talk to people that think like you right so, of course, and the people, you know, like, I think Trump was very accurate when he said, this is Brexit all over again, people. Like, people are, were afraid to say that they supported Trump, especially on college yeah. campuses, for, you know, fear of either losing their job, being ostracized from their friends, ostracized from their families. Um, it was truly scary. And there, there were a couple of protests, at, if that's what you want to call them, um, on campus the week after. And there was actually someone giving a... Uh, they were in the Ohio Union, which is like the epicenter of OSU. It has restaurants and study areas. It's like five stories high. And um, he was giving, he was like speaking to this anti-Trump crowd. And this guy comes out of nowhere and he's standing on some stairs. And this guy comes out of nowhere and like just absolutely body slams him down to the ground. And it's actually on the internet. Uh, if you go to the, the Lantern, is uh, our school newspaper. It's on their Twitter. There's a video of it. Actually, it's crazy. It's kind of sad because this kid was actually autistic and a registered Democrat. But um, after that, things kind of simmered down. But yeah, people just can't believe. I get comments on my Instagram all the time. Like, I'll be going to a Trump rally. They'll be like, "Oh wow, like you're voting for someone who's a racist, sexist, blah blah blah." I'm like, "Okay, great. Like, haven't heard that one before. Like, nice." Nice try, guys. <laughs> Maybe next time, if you say it, it'll, you know, it'll really get me. So it's just. It's well, it's like a magic spell that, that they get their way, right? The word racism, yeah. sexism, homophobia. It's just been a magic spell that gets their way. And, you know, if I had a magic spell that got me my way, I'd probably say it as well, right? I mean, it's yeah, just you can't absolutely. let it go. It just, it just 
just doesn't mean anything anymore. Almost, you know, cause oh, yeah. people yeah. say it so much. It's just like, it's lost. You know, those are really terrible things. And, you know, maybe one day we're going to have someone <laughs> that's like that. And we're not going to believe anyone when they say it because it's been said so much about people that are the furthest thing. But, you know, Fidel Castro is a human rights, uh, you know, proponent and whatnot. So it's like, okay, the irony there. Um, they're just, they're hypocrites, honestly. So it's sad. But uh, when they graduate college, they're going to have low taxes and uh, benefit from, you know, the free market when it comes to health care. And, you know, they're going to read the benefits from it. So I think that's great. And that's worth it. So we'll learn one of these days, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, um, certainly the pendulum is swinging back and I'm glad to be putting a jetpack to it as well. So, uh, yes, I, you absolutely. know, it's a good time to be in school because there will be a better. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that the this particular death of Castro thing, oh, mm-hmm. first of all, Spend, spend your entire life fighting capitalism, die on Black Friday. There's a certain cosmic beauty <laughs> to that. And also, the fact that he died on Augusta Pinochet's birthday uh, is yeah. another, you know, is another kind of wonderful thing. Maybe the devil said to Pinochet, what do you want? Oh, just one thing, really. Uh, bring that soul down here. Um, Bastard. And, of course, what happened with, uh, I don't know if you watched the Trudeau eulogies hashtag. Uh, no, um, I don't believe. You got you to check these out. Um, so, uh, um, Justin Trudeau, um, I, I have to remind oh, myself. Oh, the Canadian, the Canadian Prime Minister. Right? Yeah, you know, Bieber be, be <laughs> Trudeau, <laughs> right? Our, yes. our drama teacher, Uber Cook. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, That's so great. And yes. Uh, he, yes, um, Mike, why don't you grab a couple of these for those who haven't heard them? You can read them out if you like. Uh, I'll wait for you to do that. But uh, it's uh, it's kind of a headshot to his uh, candidacy, I think, or to his his uh, prime ministership. Because uh, this is, once you've been memed that badly... <laughs> It's really tough to hold your head up high in international meetings after that. And the fact that uh, right after Trump's victory, where he was called Hitler and, and terrible and all of this, right after that, the left is praising Fidel Castro. Holy right. shit, you couldn't yeah, Hitler beg was... on your knees. You couldn't beg for anything more revealing of where the left is at and what they're like. Mm-hmm. Straight from Trump is Hitler to a guy who on that island was Hitler and he's great. Yeah, I mean, that's all you need absolutely. to know about I mean, these. In comparison these to Castro, he was an absolute amateur, right? All right. <laughs> so yeah. Leftist on Pearl Harbor. Okay, so hang on, hang on. Just, just to okay. set the stage. So, so, uh, And I read this in, in The Truth about uh, Fidel Castro, which uh, right after there was a way. No, J, 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 J. Anyway, yeah, but um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Trudeau was like, you know, he was a, a very powerful leader and a, you know, beloved of the people and, and, and you know, controversial, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it was a terrible, terrible eulogy. But of course, his father was a big fan of Fidel Castro. And this is, uh, uh, for those who don't know, Pierre Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister of Canada in the 70s and so on. And, you know, quite popular. He was a dynamic, charismatic, uh, left, lefty nut job as usual uh, mm-hmm. in Canada. And um, uh, so Justin Trudeau put out this... Um, it wasn't even wishy-washy like Obama's, you know, who's developed the art of moving air molecules while saying absolutely nothing of substance. But uh, Justin Trudeau put out this really quite positive uh, uh, review uh, of um, uh, of uh, Fidel Castro, and people took it up and uh, mocked it. In in sorry, if you want to give it, go ahead, Mike. Sorry about that. Pearl Harbor to some a stirring fireworks show to others a sneak attack. 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah. I saw Ann Coulter's, um, her tweets when she was like, when she was talking about Mussolini and, you know, other Hitler, horrible... to some a tyrant, to others a painter. <laughs> sure. Right, right, right. I mean... Stalin, to some a tyrant, others an avid hunter. Yes, that is the one I saw. I'm like, oh my god, that is gold. Gold. There's tons of these online. Yep, they're fabulous. Wait, I'm going to do one or two more, because I I just had spent way too much time, and I I need to pretend it was for work. Um, Let's see here, what do we have? Oh man, it just went on and on. Oh, that's Trudeau's statement? Click the gallery to the right. There is no gallery to the right. You lie. We mourn the death of Vlad the Impaler, who spearheaded initiatives which touched the hearts of millions. Oh, my God. Oh, I think I've got some. Okay, I think I've. While Darth Vader did have his detractors, he did create millions of jobs with his innovative infrastructure projects. Oh, my God. Uh, today we say goodbye to Mr. Mussolini, the former Italian prime minister best known for his competent train management. Uh, Vlad the Impaler, a leader who in the face of adversity showed us all how to really stick to it. Oh my god. Uh, I, I am grieving over the loss of Sauron and his vision of a unified Middle Earth and social justice for all orcs. Today we mourn the loss of Hannibal Lecter, a controversial figure, but true gentleman who enjoyed having friends for dinner. <laughs> My sympathies on the passing of Bernie Madoff. He saw opportunity on the faces of every person he met. <laughs> Through his innovations in biochemistry, logis- logistics, and agriculture, Pablo Escobar revolutionized his field. May he rest in peace. <laughs> anyway, these just go on and on. And this has been, uh, while a controversial figure, John Wilkes Booth will be remembered as a lover of the theater. Uh, so this uh, just goes on and on. And I'm telling you, I mean, it. Uh, I was talking about this with Mike. It, it's a big deal when you get memed that hard. Uh, you know, this is going to – and now, of course, every single time some asshole dies, this is going to be resurrected. And uh, holy crap, uh, this is going to be pretty tough. You know, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of funny. He already is now not going to attend the funeral because of this. And, and wow. because he doesn't understand the internet or the Streisand effect, Justin Trudeau was like – because he was grilled about this, and rather than saying, I'm not going to talk about it, and, and hopefully putting it in the rear view, he's like, well, okay, he, he was a dictator, and it's like, oh, then why are you, <laughs> like, stop talking. You yeah, can't. yeah, yeah, he was a dictator, anything that follows that will not be good or positive, so just stop talking. It's embarrassing. We're embarrassed yeah. for you. Go back to right. kicking that cuck ball in, in the gay pride parade, and, and pretending, <laughs> and, and trying to make Barack Obama and the president of Mexico shake hands like you're uh, some limp-wristed squid being with no bones in your arms. Anyway, okay, that's, yeah. that's a topic for another time. Okay, going to move on to the next caller, if that's right. Thanks yeah, for calling absolutely. in. I'm glad you weren't there, and I'm sorry for what you're going to have to face tomorrow. Um, that, to me, is uh, also part of the tragedy, but uh, don't worry. Tired to turning, sister. We're, we're getting this uh, set right. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Take care, Amanda. Bye. 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 All right. A couple more. Osama bin Laden was certainly a controversial figure, but his contribution to airport security is unparalleled. That's true. That that is that is unassailable. That statement. Let us remember Jack the Ripper as a great benefactor who worked tirelessly to get female prostitutes off the streets. It, it's true. Not not all at the same time individually, but yes. Delightful. 
All right, up next we have Charlie. Charlie wrote in and said, When looking at the free will versus determinism argument, in your last podcast you were implying that because it is nearly impossible to predict things on the microscopic level, that the same thing can be said about macroscopic predictions. Throughout history, when looking at systems of people, one gets the sense that some outcomes are inevitable. And although the series of events that led to, let's say Nigel Farage, leading a Brexit campaign may be unknowable, I do think that the systems that evolved over time were primed for a man of his character to step forward and fill that role and thus accomplish the same macroscopic event. Do you think that when viewed from the macroscopic perspective of how systems of people interact, that there just might be some outcomes that are inevitable? That's from Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Um, I'm just, (laughs) I didn't get, uh, much sleep. So I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, uh, way off in terms of understanding. Okay. So let me just make sure I've read this a couple of times earlier today. Uh, some outcomes are inevitable. Yes. Systems. So when, when you say systems that have evolved over time, I'm not sure what that means. What, what is a system and how is that different from individual choice? So, choices. um, what I really had in mind was, do you know that old Hegelian viewpoint that like uh, history is kind of the battle of ideas and two ideas will go up against each other and they'll synthesize and create something new. And then that new system will come to battle with some new idea. And then those two things will synthesize and create some new idea. Yeah, I mean, um, like, he basically took took a bunch of Darwinian thought and tried to apply it to sort of memes and I remember learning this, like thesis, you know, the argument antithesis, which then leads to a synthesis, which then goes on. And I just thought, like, what a great way of never having to evaluate an argument or to mm-hmm. try and find out if it's true. What I want is true arguments, valid arguments, accurate arguments, empirical arguments. I don't want this thesis, antithesis, and synthesis because, uh, you know, I, I want to know what's true and false. But just being able to sort of stand there and watch the stuff fight it out and so on, is, it's already very passive. And it doesn't actually mean that anyone has to take a stand because they're just observing uh, and so on, right? So, um, um, I just sort of wanted to uh, to uh, to mention that uh, that it's always sort of bothered me this whole uh, Hegelian approach to things because it is kind of lackadaisical in a lot of ways for me. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, my the the main thing I had in mind was um, you you just look at the the battle of ideas. Like even go back to World War II, how you can look at it as it was sort of communism fascism and liberal democracy all like battling against each other and then um neither because it wasn't really any two ideas spawning off none of them was really defeated and they all kind of left in a dilapidated state and now it seems like they're they're coming back communism versus or globalism and nationalism are coming forward to the same battle because they never really had the chance to do battle back in well, World War II. Sorry to interrupt, but but this the Hegelian argument is part of this, right? So you know, whenever you hear, well, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. You know, the the balance between two extremes. You know, we don't want to go to either extremes. It's the far right. It's never referred to as the far left, even communism. But you know, this idea that the truth lies somewhere in between, like you have two people telling you opposite stories and what's that old 
thing from uh, Dr. Phil, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter how, how, how thin you make a pancake, it's still got two sides, you know, <laughs> the, the, the two, two people lying and self-serving, the truth lies somewhere in between. Well, that is not a description, that is a content, that is part of human thought. In other words, if you, if you believe thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, then that is going to be how you approach ideas, and it's going to become true because you believe in it. In other words, well, you don't want to believe the thesis, and you don't want to believe the antithesis because they're going to produce a synthesis, and that's what you want to believe. Of course, it's an infinite thing, right? Then that, that synthesis then becomes the new thesis, which then develops an antithesis, and so you get... So if you believe in that, you're not passively observing these things happen because people who believe that don't want to take a stand, and that's what that whole... Hegelian dialectic is all about don't take a stand. Everything's in a state of flux. And everyone who puts, takes down a stand is like trying to freeze water in time without turning it into ice or taking a picture, right? Everything's in a state of flux. And therefore, you can't take a stand on anything. How perfectly wonderful for psychotic absolutists to rule humanity who never want to take a stand. I mean, it is a state-serving, horrible, relativistic, brain-dissolving spine-dissolving bunch of bullshit. I'm not, I'm, I know you're not advocating it. I'm just telling you that that's, that's the reality of what happens. All the people who say, well, you know, the truth, it's in between the two extremes and, 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 and use the words extremist and so on, they're basically coming out of this Hegelian thing that the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Bullshit. Bullshit. If, if, a, if a knife goes eight inches into my ribs, versus not at all, the crime is not somewhere in the middle. The crime is when it enters my body at all, right? It's not somewhere in the middle. You know, one doctor says the patient's alive, and the other doctor says the patient is dead. Is the truth really somewhere in the middle? Two and two make four. Two and two make six. The truth is somewhere in the Like, it's just, it, it's a cowardly, cowardly view of the world where you get to passively think that you're wise by not taking a stand on anything and waiting for events to unfold. Uh, and the fact that people put it forward as any kind of wisdom or moral superiority just shows how popular cowardice is if you can ascribe a big enough and bullshit label to it. But uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, if I could try to reformulate what I was trying to say before. So Karl Marx writes the Communist Manifesto. Uh, communism takes over Russia. Now, did Hitler come to power on of his own volition, or was his rise to power induced by communism taking over the country next door and the threat uh, looming of the same communist takeover of his country? You see what I'm getting at? What um, did? Well, yeah. Look, everything. Uh, I obviously would not have a platform if there was no internet. Right, so the fact that there was an internet is why we're having this conversation. Sure, but the fact that there are things that precede you doesn't mean that everything is predetermined. In other words, I don't view history as a series of dominoes that fall down. I view it as uh, people having very particular dedications to what it is they're pursuing, and I'll sort of I'll tell you what I mean by that. Looking at my own life, if people had viewed my existence up until the age of 15 years old, would they have predicted that I would have the beliefs that I have now? No. No, not at all. And would they predict that, well, you see, he read Ayn Rand, and therefore 
he became an objectivist. No. No, I had friends who read Ayn Rand never became objectivists. I didn't understand it because the arguments are compelling and you either have to accept them or reject them. But, you know, they were like, yeah, it was a cool story. I had a friend who became an architect and he's like, oh, yeah, I wanted to become an architect. So naturally everyone's pushing Howard Rock on me. And it's like, so blase. And um, so, yes, there's cause and effect, but it comes down to your choice. It comes down to the choices that people make. And of course, we, and I've got a whole presentation coming up on this about the rise of, of narcissism and so on. So, yes, there were things that came before. Um, and there were things that, that conditioned what occurred. But as I said to the first caller, history excuses nothing. You can find causes for sure. But all you're saying is that in the absence of people willing something different, yeah inevitability holds sway. Sure, of course. In the absence of deciding to get up from the couch, you keep sitting on the couch. Sure, I understand that. In the absence of eating better food, you eat bad food, and it has the effects that it has on you. In the absence of going outside, you stay indoors. You know, like when you break it down to that level, sure, there are, consequ there are consequences to staying on the couch, eating badly, and never going outdoors. And so you say, well, you know, he got sick because of all these things. But all of these things were choices. Now, you could say, okay, well, by the time a certain number of bad choices have been made in a society, then negative things become inevitable. Maybe Hitler was unavoidable by 1927 or 1928. But so what? So after a certain amount of smoking, you get lung cancer, probably. You say, well, okay, so now you have lung cancer. But it wasn't inevitable. It's only inevitable after a certain amount of, or certain number of bad decisions. So, no, I don't, in hindsight, we could look and say, ah, well, you see, all of this seemed to be inevitable. And it was inevitable because the goddamn intellectuals didn't fight it, didn't choose to fight it. Now, maybe they couldn't because the intellectuals um, who would have fought it maybe couldn't get through to the people because of the internet, there was no internet or something like that. And, you know, maybe the best they could come up with was Heidegger, the Nazi scum-sucking uh, ultra-cuck. But um, I don't view any of that, you know, because why, why were there no avenues for people who were counter-Hitler to get published? Well, because people had made a whole bunch of decisions before that, right? So maybe it was too late by 1927 or 1928, and sure, you know, when somebody's been smoking for 50 years, maybe it's too late for them to become a marathon runner, but that's only because of choices they made before. So that would be my perspective. Yeah, I just, I think when you're trying to predict outcomes of things, even though it might be impossible to, to predict it on the small scale level, like what I'm going to do tomorrow or when I'm going to die or so on, I think that, that the randomness associated with each individual player gets averaged out when you look at like the stage that they're currently in and which ideas are currently the strongest and just the, the general landscape of things. Like fascism is the natural reaction to a communist takeover. So even if Hitler didn't rise to power, somebody else like him advocating for similar ideals, I feel like would just because that's what humanity in that area at the time was yearning for. They wanted a backlash to what they saw in the country next door. And 
Well, no, but see, but but then you'd have to find every circumstance which re, which produced the same outcome. In other words, you'd have to say, well, every country that was threatened by communism next door must have turned fascist. Well, no. You, you don't think Austria was threatened by communism next door? Of course it was. Austria didn't become fascist. Ah, well, maybe it's the countries that lost the First World War and were ground under by the Versailles Treaty. Well, no, Austria was also ground under by the Versailles Treaty and lost the war and uh, did not turn fascist. And, and Italy was on the victorious side and, and turned fascist, right? So here's the problem. You can look at any individual thing and say, ah, well, they're these dominoes. But if it's the case that there are dominoes, then all countries in similar situations must have gone the same way. And if they didn't, the domino theory doesn't work. I, I see what you're saying, but I, so I, I think humanity has the capability of delaying when two ideas will face off against each other, but I don't think they have the ability to prevent it at all. And my original statement of um, neither fascism nor communism nor liberal, liberal democracy were defeated, I think we're seeing the resurgence of that same argument now in the globalism versus nationalism argument. You know, uh, that dude, Fukuyama wrote that like liberal democracy was going to be the end state of history. And once we reach yeah, that, right. it would be, yeah, yeah. What a stupid, <laughs> but yeah, once we reach that point, there would be no more progression because we reached, you know, what we were supposed to, that would be the end state of all ideas fighting it out. And that's what we would reach. But I, I feel like the globalist nationalist argument is the result of neither of those ideas being defeated in the second world war. Well, no, I mean, so if look at Trump. I mean, look at all of the steps that led towards Trump, right? So, so Alex Jones runs InfoWars, and Alex Jones for many, many years. I mean, I remember when he used to do these videos with these kaleidoscopic backgrounds. Guys, I don't even think he had a studio. He's been doing documentaries. He's been, and he's been putting out these arguments and these, these ideas that, of course, a lot of people thought were crazy until events, significant events, caught up with what the man was saying. Yeah. Right? So... If he hadn't been willing to be ridiculed, if he hadn't been willing to be called a conspiracy theorist, if he hadn't been willing to be mocked and attacked and scorned, then some of the credibility that he got through being right about things that people thought were crazy, well, if he hadn't willing, been willing to do that, say, oh, well, you know, Trump had this thing, right? And I'm not saying Trump was entirely dependent on him, but Alex Jones certainly helped. I mean, Alex Jones got a phone call from Donald Trump. Yeah. And I don't think it was a, what the hell do you think you were doing? I think it was a kind of thanks, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in my way, I've been putting out lots of arguments uh, for for many uh, years, 11 years now or whatever. So uh, that has uh, an effect uh, as well. You know, by the time Trump got in, we had uh, a quarter of a billion views and downloads. That moves minds. It does. Same thing with Brexit. So say, oh, well, you know, there's this is inevitability. Well, I tell you this, man, it sure as hell doesn't feel inevitable if you're doing it rather than recording it. If you're doing it rather than watching it, it sure as hell doesn't feel inevitable. It feels like you're taking risks. It feels like you're going out on a limb. It feels like you're stretching your capacities. It feels like you're stretching the kindness of your audience. It feels like you may be challenging people too much. So I think that people tend to get more into the inevitability, the domino thing, if they're not actually out there doing things. Because when you're actually out there doing things and trying to make changes in the world, it really doesn't feel that inevitable at all. Yeah. If you're watching it after the fact, oh yeah, for sure. So what? But what's the, you know, there's no cost, there's no challenge in that. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but th just the Nobody who's playing the game thinks it's inevitable. Sorry to interrupt. Nobody who's, like you can say after the football, oh, it, totally, it was totally obvious that the Broncos were going to win. But nobody who's playing the game thinks it's inevitable because if they think it's inevitable, they lose the edge and they lose. Yeah, um, but just the fact that me and a ton of my friends that just found out about you within the last nine months because of this resurgence in... Um, the the, uh, the the globalist nationalist argument um it, it, i don't want to belittle all the work that you've done over the last nine years because you've been one of the hardest workers i know of in terms of this stuff but um was it do you think it was primarily due to the work you put in or are you filling a void that humanity was yearning for and you stepped up to the plate and that's what caused you to grow so fast so recently you know what i mean well, the growth recently has a lot to do with the skills that I've developed over my lifetime in talking and thinking and communicating in ways that people find engaging and entertaining. And because I'm not frightened by ideas, there's an old statement, and I wrestled with this a lot in my youth, but there's an old statement, I think it's from a French philosopher, he says, nothing human is alien to me. I don't find arguments offensive. I, I can't ever remember getting really angry at an argument. I may find it gross. I may find it negative or whatever. And maybe, I don't know, if people were like, I don't know, normalizing pedophilia or something. I would probably find that pretty repulsive, but uh, enough about Salon. So I don't find ideas appalling or shocking. And, and because I don't find them shocking, I have a way of communicating even ideas which a lot of people would normally find shocking in a way that doesn't provoke their defenses. They, they can review it and analyze it. Uh, so I'm not shocked by facts. I'm not shocked by information. And because I'm not shocked and not afraid of these things, I have a way of communicating things to others that uh, uh, other people might not be able to get across in, in a way that was uh, so non-volatile for people. And this has been commented by a wide variety of people. Of how, how can you how can you say these things and and people will listen? It's like because I'm not offended or upset or angry by ideas, right? Uh, they're just arguments. They're just things to be understood. So I think that the practice has helped. Obviously, uh, being able to you know if you do something for a long time, it's the old ten year overnight success thing. If you do something for a long time then uh, suddenly you appear out of nowhere and seem to be really good at it. You know, like the Huey Lewis phenomenon, right? You've yeah. been doing it for 10 years before. Uh, or like when I was um, a teenager and when Thriller came out, uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, I didn't, I, didn't even, I didn't even know about the Jackson 5s. I grew up in England. I don't think they were very big there, but I didn't even know about the Jackson 5s. I didn't know the guy. Wow, this guy's an amazing singer and dancer. It's like, well, yeah, he's been doing it since he was like three years old. It's like, ah, okay, well, that explains the moonwalk and why my ankles hurt. But anyway, um, so there was that, but also I, there's an old saying, which only Nixon can go to China, right? Nixon was a staunch, staunch anti-communist. So when Nixon went to China, anti-communists couldn't attack him. And uh, as an anarchist, as a voluntarist, as an anarcho-capitalist, uh, who's argued very strenuously against political action, when I started talking positively about political action, of course, it offended and upset a lot of people, but in it had a credibility to it because it's like, okay, well, if this guy is willing to alter his I, I didn't alter anything epistemologically uh, or metaphysically or or in terms of reason you know if this guy is willing to accept new arguments and new evidence then that's important 
Uh, only Nixon can go to China. And I had a special credibility when talking about the value of political action in this election cycle. And uh, I didn't do anything to earn that other than be consistent over time, which is rare enough that uh, it has the power to move mountains. So, so no, w w there was nothing inevitable about it. It was all the work that I had done before and my willingness to follow reason and evidence wherever it leads. This is the promise I've made and I will continue to make. I will follow reason and evidence wherever it leads. If it leads to human biodiversity, by God, I go to human biodiversity. If it leads to men's rights, I'm going to explore that and explicate the topic. If it leads to um, anti-feminism or anti... I'll go. I'll go wherever the reason and evidence leads me. Yeah, and uh, people who, who are wedded to my conclusions and don't understand that reason and evidence is a process, it's a methodology, it's not a conclusion, they're going to be disoriented. It's like, well, you said this, and now you're saying that. And it's like, well, yes. I recommended we not sail across the sea when it was covered in ice. Now it is not covered in ice, so we can sail across the sea. I recommended not stepping off the boat before we got to the dock. Now we're at the dock. We can step off the boat, right? So all the methodologies, not these final orders, conclusions, right? That Those are fundamentally dictatorial. Methodology is freedom. Conclusions are dictatorship. You must do this. Here's how we help the poor, the welfare state. Here's how we educate the kids, the government schools. Those are conclusions, and they're tyrannical. The methodology of reason and evidence is the only liberty that human beings will ever have. Everything else is tyranny. And so when I don't remain wedded to conclusions, there shall be no political action. Well, no, that was an argument I made with the information that was available throughout history. And then when something truly remarkable and, and different came along, sure, the ice is thawed. Now we can sail. Let's never sail. There's never been any anything but ice on this sea. We can't we can't cross it with a oh my goodness, the ice is gone. <laughs> Global warming. Let's sail over, right? I mean, that's adapting to new information, to new facts. And this is what I always said I was going to do, and it's only disorienting to people who don't fundamentally listen or who want to be tyrannized by conclusions so they can order themselves around rather than learn how to think for themselves and follow the reason and evidence and liberate themselves from the tyranny of conclusions. This is why I don't tell people what to do on this show, because I don't want to substitute my judgment for theirs, and they need to learn how to think for themselves. And of course, I had been wrong for, uh, sorry, I had gained credibility by being right about a lot over a significant period of time. And that helps. And there's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for that, for just having been right about a whole lot of things. And, you know, every now and then we, I sort of bat around the idea of going back and just getting the big giant bag of things I was right about. Um, that's tempting, but I'd rather just be right about new things. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the sort of record stands for itself. So I think all of that, that helps a lot. But there, no, there was nothing inevitable about it. These are, all, uh, these are all choices. I mean, it would have been very easy for me to say, well, no, no. The truth about voting was a very big video and got a lot of people onto this channel. So political action, nothing's changed. It's like, well, no, but something has changed. And it's only by denying the reality of what had changed that I would be able to remain wedded to a conclusion rather than the methodology of reason and evidence. And I, I simply won't bow to a conclusion because I recognize no masters other than reason and evidence. And reason and evidence is a process, not, it's a journey, not a destination. I totally agree. I, I was more implying that um, the arguments you were making, because truth is sort of suppressed in this modern age, it was bound to come out some at some time. And um, these ideas were bound to take a form, and that form was you because you decided to put all the work in. But 
Um, well, no, no. You can't say that it's because I decided and therefore it was bound to happen. The moment you say I've decided, it wasn't bound to happen. Yeah. I mean, it is bound to happen that spring shall, sol- shall follow winter. It's bound to happen. Nobody makes that choice. Right? Now, my suggestion to you, my friend, is stop describing and start doing. Right? Things will... You'll be free from inevitabilities. You'll be free from larger historical processes the moment that you start doing and trying to affect change in this world in whatever wheelhouse or sphere you feel you are best suited for. Go out and make change in the world and you won't be worried about Hegelian dialectics and what is inevitable and larger historical world movements and so on. You know, once you make things happen and stop watching things happen, you'll be surprised at how much you can get done. Yeah. Do you, so do you think the, a one world government is inevitable? Yeah, maybe Trump oh put God. it off for. You are not a good listener, man. You are not a good listener. <laughs> no, no, I know. Maybe, maybe this I, is the inevitability that comes from not being a good listener. I don't know. <laughs> what did I just say? I said, you go out and you make things happen and you make choices and the things are not inevitable if you're in motion. And you say, well, do you think one world government is inevitable? It's like, mm. there is a determinism to using your mouth, not your ears. I'll tell you that for sure. No, I, I agree with you. Each individual player has the choice to make actions or advocate for certain things. I just think that in the grand scheme of things, um, when it comes to systems going up against each other, that um, all of our actions somewhat become meaningless. Right. And that's the goal of why you think about these big systems. You, you want to elevate these systems to this big giant monolith so that you feel insignificant and helpless, and therefore you don't have to take actions that might put you in risk, that might put you in danger, that might generate disapproval, that might generate hostility, that might get you trolls, that might get you hate sites. You don't want to take those actions because they're scary, and you might experience some negative consequences from taking actions to promote virtue in the face of evil, which has significant power in the world. So I understand that, but just be honest with me and say it scares me, Don't create these big giant monoliths of abstractions to justify it as somehow a dispassionate and wise view of the mechanics of human history. You're scared to go out there and do what other people are doing. And you're not comfortable with the fact that you're scared about it, so you're making up some big giant world historical inevitabilities so that you are wise rather than afraid. Right. Well, just go go out and, and try things and do things and, and serve virtue and fight evil and, and do all of the good that that is necessary to make this, right? Uh, uh, all right. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. Can I just give one little small example? Um, and this is from the Bible. So God gives the Jews uh, his law. And in that law, he instills in them this amazing amount of ethnocentrism. And then he scatters them throughout the world. All right. And the logical conclusion of that is, is you got these pockets of ethnocentric minorities scattered throughout the world. The host countries are going to not like that so much because in, in general, host countries don't usually like pockets of minorities that don't assimilate. So the conclusion of that is that these people scattered throughout the world are going to want to come home eventually. But when they do finally come home, they're going to have to push somebody off their land and then that's going to start a religious conflict. And then that religious conflict will divide the world in half and then you see where i'm going with this it's on on the grand scheme of things when when you view it macroscopically like this 
it just seems like some outcomes are inevitable regardless of what each individual person chooses to do. And how would you solve this conflict if you could do anything and achieve anything? Uh, oh, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, sure you do. I, 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 no, you do. No, no, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't well, do that. I, I sir, I you, hang on, hang on, hang on. You listen to this show, right? Yeah, sorry. Right? How long have you listened to this show for? About nine months. Right. Have you ever heard me make the case that human conflict is resolved either through reason or through force? Uh, yeah. Okay. So we don't want to do it through force, right? Because that's been tried for 6,000 years, right? Yep. So if we could get people to be rational, and I don't mean rational in finding some ways to disagree uh, or to, to get their superstitions to mesh, because that's never going to happen. I mean truly rational, evidence and reason, Socratic reasoning, philosophy, Aristotelian empiricism. If we could get people to be rational, to let go of superstitions, of history, of myth, of lies, we could get people to be rational, this conflict would end, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean there wouldn't be any disagreements in the future. Of course, scientists have disagreements. They just don't generally solve them with suicide bombings. They solve them with conferences and beatdowns through government funding. But that's a topic for another time. But they, it's peaceful. It's peaceful, right? So you know exactly how to solve this problem, which is to promote reason and evidence in the face of mad collectivist superstitions, right? Yeah. Do you want to do that? I would, yeah, I would love to do that. Then why haven't you? Uh, oh, I, I, I do, I, but I'm, <laughs> my, uh... Wait, so you're acting to change something that you consider an inevitable process of history. So that's exactly what we're in agreement then. No, we, we totally are. I, I think I can do everything I can to advocate for the same thing you're doing, like reason should trump force. But, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, I can still think that it might not be possible, even though I disagree with it and act in complete course, opposition to it. But if you, if you think it might not be possible, then you're accepting that there's no inevitability. It's not possible that spring shall not follow winter. Right? That's inevitable. But if you're saying, I don't know that it's going to be possible, of course, then you're saying it's not inevitable. And when it's not inevitable, my friend, that means one thing and one thing only. It's up to you. It doesn't mean that you alone can solve it. But if you understand that something is important, is essential, is a preferred course of action that's not inevitable, then you are betraying your knowledge by not acting on it and working to make the good happen. Be the inevitability you see in the world. Be the god of your own history and be the writer of your own future. Be above and beyond what is called limitations. Be bigger than all the historical abstractions that you could possibly assemble into one self-defying, soul-crushing monolith designed to paralyze you into inaction. Be bigger than all of these things. And do you know why? 
Do you know why be bigger than all of these things? Number one, it's really fun. Number two, it's really good for the world. And number three, it doesn't matter how small you are. You can never hide from dying. You're going to die anyway. Death, you, you don't get under the radar of death by being small. He's going to find you. He's going to find you. And here's the thing. If he finds you, and he will, when he finds you, when death finds you, if you're really small, you die forever. You die forever. So many people I've known, now that I'm 50, so many people I've known, their parents have died, friends have died, uncles, aunts, grandparents, leaving virtually no mark on the world. Virtually no mark on the world. I remember a friend of mine showing me home movies from when he was a kid. And there was some woman smoking away in the background, and I said, who's that? I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know, a cousin's aunt? I, I, I knew at one point, like her name's, I, I can't remember. She smoked, she got cancer, she died. I don't know. And there she is, smoking away, gesticulating away, saying something that nobody will ever remember. You can shrink yourself to a tiny subatomic particle in order to hide from the conflicts in this world. You're going to die anyway, and you will die forever. You know what I will never do? I will never die forever. I will forever live in one form or another. I'm going to live digitally. I'm going to live in people's minds. I'm going to live in the fact that children aren't hit. I'm going to live in the fact that children aren't boys aren't circumcised. I'm going to live in the fact that people are going to have a clarity of thought and a hope and a positivity and an enthusiasm and a fear and an integrity and a dedication to truth and a dedication to courage. I'm going to live forever. You understand? I can't be killed. I will never, ever die. People will be watching this very speech in 500 years, in a thousand years. And hopefully, <laughs> wondering what all the fuss was about. <laughs> but they will be watching. I will never die. Do you know I never shut up in the world? There are so many people who listen to what I say now. There is never a time when I'm not talking on this planet, ever. Sometimes it probably feels that way in my own household. <laughs> but there's never a time when I'm silent. And so by becoming bigger than history, guess what? I become bigger than history. By becoming bigger than limitations, I achieve immortality. I will never, ever die. And, of course, it's not just me. Paul McCartney will never die. People will play his music forever. So you achieve immortality. You achieve benevolent and munificent influence in the world. I don't care about greatness. Greatness is too subjective a value. You could be a great mass murderer. But... You achieve the capacity to inspire and illuminate other people. I'm not saying this to praise my own ego or anything like that. I'm saying this to tell you the benefits. Because we all know the fear. We all know the fear of stepping outside the circle of prescribed limitations for what we're allowed. Don't be big. Being big is being in trouble. Being big is being attacked. Being big is going to cause problems. And when we step outside the circle, the tiny little circle, the square space that Dostoevsky talks about is you live in a square space hanging above an eternity and an infinity for the rest of your existence. What a nightmare that would be. Well, that's what we're given. This is the little square, the little handkerchief we're allowed to stand on. What we're allowed, 
the opinions we're allowed, the perspectives we're allowed. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. That's offensive. That's upsetting. That's inappropriate. Fuck inappropriate. <laughs> the truth is inappropriate. And if you stay on that square, you bother nobody. You excite nobody. You illuminate nobody. You inspire nobody. But you bother nobody. You are as predictable as clockwork, and therefore, since you're going to spend the rest of your existence standing on a two-foot handkerchief, guess where you're going to be in 20 years? Standing on a two-foot handkerchief. Does that feel like determinism? Does that feel inevitable? Sure. And it is. And it is. But only because you've chosen to stand on that handkerchief rather than take a step off, stretch your legs, and learn to run up walls, matrix style. So... That is my recommendation to you. There is fear in outgrowing the tiny Fidel Castro-style prison boxes that are assigned to us. Be small, be hunched up, be uncomfortable, be afraid. Spread your wings, stretch your wings, soar, fly, take to the sky. There is no sun big enough to take the wax off our wings, no matter how high we get, no matter how visible we are to the world. Be as big as you want to be. And yes, there will be fear at times. And yes, you will feel nervous. And yes, you will feel defeated in moments. But that's part of the fun. Who wants to play life in God mode where you can't ever be harmed and you can't ever lose? How boring that is. Love the losses. The losses are part of the glory of success, of influence. And for the sake, for the price of a small amount of fear and a small amount of anxiety, you gain glory. You gain immortality. And you gain being large enough compared to mere history that other people will sashay their Michael Jackson dancing legs off that little handkerchief and join you in the divine dance. And yes, we all, we all look mad to those who can't hear the music, but you step off, step off the handkerchief, join the dance, and revel in the glory of being bigger than what you were given. Yeah, no, no I totally agree. Uh, that's what I should do, and that's what everybody should do. Um, it certainly would make it easier yeah. for those of us out here. All right. I'm going to close off, but I really, really thank you for your call. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to Free Domain Radio. It is a great glory to have this privilege uh, of being at the center of this conversation. Please, please help us do what we do. Help me do what I do best. Help me bring reason and evidence, light and joy and possibility to the world at freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can use our affiliate link. Oh, I know. Xmas is coming up, and um, you can uh, use that at fdrurl.com slash Amazon. You have to do some shopping. Just leave it as one of your homepages and go there. You won't even need to think about it. You can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux and, of course, fdrpodcast.com to uh, listen to the shows. If you find a video, go find a, a video of, of mine and uh, like, subscribe, share, all of that kind of good stuff. Every little bit helps out. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching, for listening, for loving. We'll talk to you soon.